Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Welcome to the Roll for Initiative Podcast. The Roll for Initiative Podcast, volume number three, issue one twelve. DM Vince sitting alongside DM Nick this week. Hey, everybody. And a special guest this week will be DM James. James, how are you? Ah, doing great. Doing great. Good. Uh, and uh, if you're unfamiliar with James, uh, he is the content editor of Gygax Magazine. Woo! <laughs> he was also the uh, gaming director. Was that the analog gaming director? You believe you said right? Yep, analog gaming director of the Kineticon uh, convention that's over in Connecticut. So, uh, just James, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background for D and D, and everything, so everybody gets a little familiar with your voice and who you are. All right. What's your well, favorite color? What's my favorite color? Probably since I grew up in the the goth community back in San Francisco, probably black or <laughs> red, <either>. at least. <laughs> uh, so I'm a native California now, living on the East Coast. I guess my first introduction to AD and D was probably around 1982 mm. uh, when my mom bought me my uh, my the three books, the, the DMG, the Monster Manual, and the Player's Handbook. And I've just been kind of a AD&D nerd probably for the longest time. Uh, what really kind of brought it back for me in, in, in many ways was actually uh, listening to this podcast. Because uh, oh. I I'd kind of, not that I've stopped playing it, but I just kind of looked at my books as other things were going on uh, in the gaming world. And uh, it just uh, started playing again and just realizing uh, how much more fun just the rule set was compared to anything else I was doing. Um, other than that, I am just recently started publishing uh, OSR-related material, so stuff that would be compatible with uh, AD&D through my, my publishing house of Chapter 13 Press. And obviously now that I'm involved with Gygax Magazine, uh, there's just a lot more stuff um, – I never realized Chapter Thirteen was you. Yeah, no, we um, we started off as a um, kind of a, a small indie game press, uh, probably in the late '90s, early 2000s. But really, haven't done much, just kind of with real life jobs and such. But recently, with everything picking up, uh, I've been doing some stuff for Goodman Games and uh, just kind of going off on different uh, different things. Huh, you've okay. done some work with uh, Goodman Games, uh, really. So you've done some of the stuff for Dungeon Crawl Classics and things like that? Actually, we have a the first uh, kind of setting coming out for DCC. Uh, it's a going through edit right now, so it should be out uh, hopefully in about a month, which is called Tales from the Fallen Empire, which is kind of an Appendix N sword and sorcery sort of um, setting and uh, optional rule set for, uh, for Dungeon Crawl Classics. Cool. That sounds really cool because I got the rule set. I haven't played it, and I'm I'm really chomping at the bit to play Dungeon Crawl Classics. I hope to see a game at Origins and get and maybe sit Isn't into that. DCC with the funky dice. Yes. Yep. Okay. All right. But you don't have to use the funky dice if you don't want to. I saw that book at Reaper Gaming Store this week after we got done with our game, and that book is, is probably as big as like you know I don't know a safe. 
It's huge, that book. Yeah, but it's chock full of, of like old gaming goodness in there. It really is. Yeah, everything is – it's pretty much a one, one-stop one book. Like the entire rule set is in there. So it's not like there's anything I – mean, there's third-party publishers doing other stuff for it, but – um, the main oh. core rule set is in the uh, book itself. What rule set does it emulate the most? Like basic, advanced, or nothing? It's it, its own. It's it's very it's it emulates a lot of basic, um, where it's just you know races, class, and everything like that. Uh, also, too, it has a little bit of a, a flavor of role master in there because oh. uh, criticals everything you do. There's all these like massive charts. So oh yeah, yeah. I. I sp- I particularly dig the uh, counterspell charts. What could happen <laughs> when you do a counterspell? You have like a spell. You actually could do wizard's duels in that. It's pretty slick. Oh, cool. I'll have to look into it then. Yeah, also magic. If um, if a magic user fails, they can start mutating uh, from the uh, misuse of magic. Uh, they can take on demon patrons that assist them with their magic but also can take away from them so there's just all kinds of different flavors that you can you can add to it and honestly just the way the game is designed um it can be easily ported over to like ad and d or basic D without any really hardships in translation i'm looking at it on amazon it's 35 dollars for the book oh and they have a ton of modules too yeah there's a yeah, there's a ton of wow. stuff from from probably when they were doing like three three point five stuff, but now oh, okay. they've got their own, you know, their own game. Yeah, there's a lot of new modules coming out for their own game there. Oh, cool! The uh, limited edition gold foil one looks really cool to cover. Yeah, yeah, I had to hunt one of those down on eBay because I I didn't. Paizo still has them, but Paizo has them at some – well, I guess Paizo has them at full price, but their shipping costs sometimes can get yeah, a little yeah. uh, crazy. So I it's, I finally found a copy on eBay, and I was like, yay, I finally got one. So it, <laughs> Well, they were at uh, next North Texas RPG Con. They had those books there last year when I was there, and they were about like $50, I think, for the book. Yeah, um, but the game, uh, Nick, I, I think you should probably see it at uh, Origins. I just got back from GaryCon last week, and yeah, honestly, was GaryCon. Oh, it it was awesome. I can't even like just go. It, I, I can't find words for it. It was wow. probably one of the better conventions I've been to in many years. Oh man, I can't wait to go someday. Someday, <laughs> and but it's you were no, saying but, about Origins. There might be a game there. Uh, Goodman has a bunch of um, a bunch of the people doing what's called a road show. So they're bringing DCC to a lot of the different conventions. Uh, Michael Curtis, who is uh, one of the writers, has been uh, doing a lot of them. And uh, the artist, uh, Doug Kovacs, has also been going. Yeah. So between the, the initial um, the crew for DCC, they've been pretty much making it a, a thing to hit a lot of conventions this year. Yeah, I know, I know Joe a little bit. I've, I've talked with him over the years because he knows Dave Kenzer from Kenzer Co. They've always had a real good uh, relationship there. And, uh, but, yeah, I've I got to – uh, get uh, get with Joe there again and try to get in a game of that of Dungeon Crawl Classic. Sounds like a blast. Oh, it definitely is. So, uh, Nick. Yes, sir. What do we have for stars this week? For stars? Oh, funny that you mentioned that. Oh, uh-huh. Well, hey. <laughs> well, for stars this week, uh, just to remind everybody, 
you can look us up on iTunes and type in Roll for Initiative over on the iTunes store in the search, and you can look us up from there. And you can download all the episodes or listen to them online right there from iTunes if you so desire. Yay. And we have three news uh, reviews, all five stars. Oh, wow. And I'll go with the first one here. It says, great show, funny and informative by Stinky the One-Eyed Ogre. (laughs) (laughs) And Stinky says, RFI is a very informative and insightful show. It has been quite helpful in giving me new ideas and tips for both playing and DMing. Great hosts and special guests on the show covering a lot of material from module reviews, table manners, and sage advice. It has even got me DMing again after 20 years off. Well, awesome. We got you back behind the screen there, Stinky. So congratulations. (laughs) Now, I hope you get a TPK. Anyway, (laughs) moving on, we have from Eddie... Poo 68 or Eddie Poe Eddie Poe 68 I guess Eddie Poe I think there's a poo or Poe which one I guess uh, I guess one also would be Eddie Poe Eddie Poe 68 and they say best D&D podcast ever 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 (laughs) thank you and they say I love this podcast I just discovered it and am looking forward to catching up on all the shows it's smart Funny and engaging. You're smart. Cool. I am so smart. S A R M O. Oh, now there goes our rep. Yeah. A must listen for anyone interested in first edition D&D and RPGs in general. And our last one from Warlock 60629 and says, Love the show. Five stars again. It says, I'm not an OD&D player. I played second edition growing up. Now just an rpg What happened to Will? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well. Uh, he I left the show. You, you, you know. yeah. he's, he's no longer part of the show. You know, he's he, no longer part of the show. He's doing something else, and we're okay with that. Yeah, so. he's doing his own thing. We wish him best of luck, and uh, he's enjoying life. So, yeah. There you go. So that's uh, all the current reviews that we have. So thank you, everybody, and keep them going. We're at a total... Of 157 ratings right now, average rating five stars. Awesome. So we we aim the please. So thank you very much, everybody. And uh, like I always like to do, as starting last episode, so it's not always like to do, but <laughs> a little geeky news for you. Not on this what? podcast, right? What? 14 years ago, this very month was when the wonderful supernatural show of Brimstone was finally canceled. Remember Brimstone? Oh my gosh, Brimstone? Yeah. Why the it was this like Brimstone? What? You remember Brimstone? When Jonathan Glover was the best devil, played the best devil in the world. I I you know what? Sorry, this one Wow. It, yeah, I like I don't even remember. Draw the blank. Brimstone was okay, there was this police detective, uh who died and he was brought back to life by the devil played by Jonathan Glover. And he was assigned to go around and bring back all the demon souls that have escaped from hell. And that was his job. Oh, I think I do remember this now. Yeah. Okay. We do now. And we'll put a link for that uh, TV series in there. Oh, I have some, a little bit of geeky news. What's that? 
saw the trailer for da 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 Kick Ass Two. Oh yeah, that yeah, it looks really good. Wow, it's on. It's the uh, it's the red box trailer. Uh-huh. So, um, I guess it's their first one. Wow, if you like the first movie, I think the second one's even going to be even better. I'll just say the name of the villain. I can't say it on this show. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so he's he's not the Red Mist anymore. Oh. He's something else, and I can't say it because it would be bleep from the show. Beep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'd be more like beep. <laughs> not just a little beep, a long beep. Uh-huh. But it looks really good. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for it because I love the first movie. Yeah, so did I. I thought it was really good. So, uh, the same cast returning for the film. It looks like it, and Jim Carrey. Oh, I don't know how to feel about that one. But what? Okay. Here's the thing: I did not know it was him. I'm looking at who he's playing. I had no idea it was Jim Carrey. Well, he did the same thing to me when I saw that preview of that Burt Wonderstone movie that's coming out with Steve Carell. Yeah, I didn't realize it was Jim Carrey in there, and they didn't even say it was Jim Carrey really. Yeah, they say it right at the end of the trailer, Kick-Ass 2, that it, with Jim Carrey, and I'm looking at the Carrey display, and like, no way. I had no idea. He just, I, you know, for a while, he was like, he was doing great. They kind of had this lull period, but this looks like a really good movie for him. So. Well, uh, we got a post on Facebook, Nick. No. Yeah, we did, actually. You lie. No. <laughs> Uh, Jason, he's like, I'm listening to your show. I've been listening to your show for some time now with a little break. Right now I'm on episode 19 since I wanted to do a total recap. So he's going back to the beginning again. Yeah, yeah, I read this one, huh? You did, you did, okay. Yes, did. Uh, I hear the thing that really struck me, you're talking about minions in 4th edition as illogical since they have one hit point and they stand against common sense. What about goblins that are on a threat, that, that are a threat on first level and a minor nuisance on sixth level? This is one of those things that really bugs me in, in level-driven RPGs. I love your show. Keep it rolling. You really inspired me to get back into the old hobby. Started Call of Cthulhu campaign on a new year. And I plan on doing D&D next playtest soon, as this seems to bring back memories of both 3rd and 2nd edition crossing out those darn grids. I don't know. I, I think minions are a waste of time. <sighs> I I never played fourth edition, so I just like what. But as far as the goblins thing, that's just part of. Again, the the game when it was designed, you got to keep it within the context of the time that it was created. It most games were like D and D was the, it was based off of war games, but it also you had a level, uh, advancement system, and that was the. That was innovative at the time. So, yeah, goblins are only a nuisance at 6th level, but... If you use that rule that we was pointed out to us a couple episodes ago about fighters fighting very lower hit dice creatures in it, you can wipe them out pretty easily. Right, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, who says you can't have a horde of goblins around? Well, that's why they're like, what, 10 to 20 or something they're listed as or whatever? Yeah, some crazy amount of number. I mean, they're horde creatures. That's what they're there for, like kobolds. Okay. And if you play them smart, you could get things like Tucker's Cobalts, which are really nasty. Tucker's? Oh. I Remember Tucker's Cobalts from Dragon Magazine? Yeah, I thought you meant like Smuckers or something. Oh, no. 
The one annoying thing about Minions, though, and the couple of times that I have played 4E, <gasps> was just the fact that, yeah, I know, I, I had to take a hot shower and definitely wash <laughs> myself with lye, but... Um, <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, one yeah. of the things, though, that was annoying about them is because it was a powers-based game and you had, once your characters got up there, you had these, like, once-a-day powers that you can use. If the GM sends minions against you and you don't know that they're, they are minions, you just burnt a spell or a power that would definitely you would need during the big bad encounter, yep. like on all these one hit point things. And it's just like, oh, man, really? Did I, you know, so it, w- it was kind of a, a cruel joke in a way, just at least from my opinion on minions. It's way a de- evil and evil. Yeah. A way a DM can be evil. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. I also saw on our Facebook page that <gasps> about the, the statting of the creature. Oh, yeah. I looked at a couple of those. I'm in, I'm really impressed with that. Well, which one do you think was the best one? Uh gosh, you know they're, and I did comment on it, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, I just closed the page, otherwise I would have looked at that, and I didn't wasn't sure if you were bringing that up or not. Um, well, there was Russell. Mm-hmm. He had the slavering horror. Uh huh. And Montana Cole Squires. Oh, he had nice. horror hopper. Horror hopper. Okay, cool. Um. I'm kind of partial to the slavering horror myself. I think, yeah, I saw some of the responses. They're really good, some of them. But um, I don't know. I mean, I like Montana's as well. I mean, it's it's really thought out pretty well too. I, I, I'm just, I think I'm just ca- partial to the slavering horror one because I like the format. It's all, you know, there's the number of pairing and everything. It's it's a nasty creature, so. I'd probably bump it up a little bit of hit dice, though. I'd probably make it like a seven hit dice creature instead of five. But what do you uh, think about the uh, the old man picture one? Oh, the old man. <laughs> yeah, when, the old man. When I put up uh, your party of characters is walking down the beaten path, and it's starting to become nightfall. As you are looking for a place to camp, you spot this old man. Describe what happens next, either as a DM or a character, based on this picture. So. Yeah, I I didn't get to read that one yet. No, I liked what someone put at my table. Someone says Led Zeppelin called, and they wanted you to get back to their album cover immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that, that oh, made, there it is. <laughs> that one by Chris. It made me laugh out loud at work when I read that. Thanks, Chris. That's awesome. <laughs> <sighs> oh, dear. Oh, we have so much fun. Yeah. Let's head, yeah. Over, to, let's head over to some sage advice, Nick. Okay. Sage advice. So sage advice this week. We have uh, some voicemail. We have a voicemail, sorry, and we have an email. Voicemail number five seven zero eight six five forty two ten. The hotline. A hotline. The old guy from the Led Zeppelin cover is standing by. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. So let's. Who is this? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Get off the lawn. <laughs> let's hit our mutes and let's play this thing. Whoa, roll for initiative podcasters and listeners. This is Jason, Sci-Fi Traveler, and I'm calling to tell a little gaming story and get some thoughts on cursed and intelligent weapons. During a campaign I played in decades ago, I was in the guise of a human thief named Weston Lightfingers. Clever circumstance brought into Weston's possession one extremely light, shiny, and ouch, very sharp dagger. This was a wondrous boon for a chaotic, neutral little low-level thief. 
even though its sharpness seemed to nick him every time that he held the dagger. It was not long after, of course, that the voice started speaking in Weston's head. What a masterful thief you are! How very clever you are! What prowess with the ladies you must have! It seemed that the dagger was made for Weston, for not a day could go by that he didn't pull the blade to hear the voice, even at the cost of a nick each time he did so. Well, days and weeks and game went by, and the dagger continued to point out his greatness, and the shortcomings of all the rest of his companions. There were the stupid paladin, the incompetent cleric and wizard, the useless fighter, or was it a ranger? Of course, the next several adventures, Weston and the party found that the dagger could detect the presence of good and evil. Uh, even once a day, it could heal all the wounds of a party member, save for a scratch or two. Unbeknownst to all in the party, including Weston, though, was that the dagger was ever so slowly possessing him and turning his opinion to the rest of the party to ill. The balance tipped after a brutal battle in which the party came close to demise, but in which Weston suffered only a minor wound from pulling the dagger. You see, the rest of the party was in dire shape, and the cleric was out of curative spells and potions. The paladin, our righteous savior, requested Weston use the blade to heal him so he could continue to protect everyone from what lay ahead. Well, that didn't sit well with the dagger, and thusly the dagger demanded that Weston tell the paladin to take a knee and kiss its tip to receive such healing. If Weston did not do this, the dagger threatened to never speak to him again, and Weston couldn't have that. Well, I'm going to cut the story short right there. To the point, in 82, when this happened... It was uh, quite entertaining, and it was the first time I had ever run into an intelligent weapon of any type. Uh, the DM who was running it, uh, we used to call Bear, and it was just a, an amazing first edition AD&D event for me. Uh, throughout the decades since, I've run many campaigns, and I've always found a way to incorporate some kind of an intelligent weapon or a cursed item into campaigns here and there. And I was wondering on your guys' take on tailoring a cursed or intelligent weapon into a valuable tool uh, or even perhaps an NPC of sorts. Keep up the great work, and let's all keep listening. Bye. <laughs> I was actually getting into that story. That was probably about the coolest story I have ever heard about a cursed weapon yeah. in my entire life. That yeah. that was amazing. I was I was like, Closely listen to that yeah. that story. He could really tell a tale. Yeah, I was sitting there. As soon as he's like, "Oh, cut it short," I'm like, "Oh, come on, come on!" I'm like, <laughs> "What happened? Did he thrust the dagger into the paladin's throat? What?" I know. Yeah, I've always included like intelligent weapons or weapons like that in my campaign, but I kind of this campaign I'm running right now, face to face. I had one in it. I had a plan for it, but it just things just changed, so I kind of had to drop the ball on it for now. Mm. I, I would say this guy who, who ran the game, I guess his name was Bear. Yeah. He did it very, very well when you're going to have cursed items. You bring it, the curse comes in slowly, I think. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. Slowly corrupting the character who has the cursed item. You know, just like the one ring of the Lord of the Rings. I mean, it's slowly, slowly corrupting either, well, first Bilbo, then, then, then Frodo had it. Whoever has it, it slowly corrupts them over time. I think cursed items should work like that, and that's a good way to do it. 
Yeah, it's unfortunate, though. A lot of game masters will introduce something into a campaign, like concentrate on it one session, and then the rest of the sessions they even forget the item exists. So mm-hmm. that was just really neat what that one guy's game master was doing was just constantly uh, making the, uh, the, the item uh, part of the game, almost it was a secondary NPC. Yeah. yeah. That's cool, yeah. It was almost like I could picture like the dagger was almost acting like you know like the little devil on the guy's shoulder in a way. You know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was like it was corrupting his conscience. It was pretty cool. I like that. Hey, we have yeah. to we have to get him to uh, write in and maybe come on the show and talk about it. It'd be kind of interesting to hear more about that story. And you know, if he wants to guess, we have a spot open, obviously. So, it'd be cool to have him on. Yeah, I want to hear what happened to the paladin. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Kiss the point of the dagger, stabby, stabby, stabby. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Knowing the paladin, of course, he probably said no, and mm-hmm. uh, it turned into a battle and somebody died. Or a TPK, who knows? <laughs> yeah. DM going, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So we got to go over some emails now. We got our first email from Buck Backup. Remember him, Nick? Buck backup? Yeah. He's Any been... relation to Buck Rogers? Uh, Uncle Buck, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Uh, I realize this has been covered before, but I'm really having trouble determining encumbrance. No! Oh. <laughs> wow, Nick. Did someone stub your toe or whatever? You just said the E word. Oh, I'm sorry. Jeez. Uh, like, would you kindly explain in some detail how you would determine the encumbrance for the following character? A first-level fighter... 16 strength with the following gear. Splint mail. Uh A small wooden shield. A long S word. Sword. Yes. (laughs) Two daggers. (laughs) It's long S words. Yes. 500 are back. A short bow. (laughs) A quiver with 20 arrows. A backpack. Not the school kid kind. (laughs) One week's worth of iron rations. A water skin full, obviously. A small belt pouch. A belt. Boots, the high hard ones. We got to wall heap her down, so. Cloak. Five torches. Uh, 100 gold pieces. A 50 foot of rope. A tinderbox. And a large sack. By the way, although I really loved hearing DM Will's take on things, and I miss Jason's wit. And stickler nature, I am enjoying the smaller staff. The flow is really clean, and the guests have been awesome. Your choice of guests add great variety to the show. I love the, your podcast. Thank you so much for your help. Please keep up the excellent work. Thank you, your loyal listener, Buck Backup. P.S. Thank you, DM Vince, for the copy of the Red Book and the books you gave me at the kit gave me and the kids at the Mepicon convention. Oh, you're welcome, Buck. I uh in the auction they had an auction at Mepicon when I was in Pennsylvania and they had uh, a a uh, Mentor Red Box set and it had the original dice in it that were uh, unused. Oh really? Yeah, it had the crayons oh, and dice. Oh, what a cool gift! No, I took the crayons and dice. <laughs> oh you! <laughs> oh you evil man! <laughs> well, I, you, know, you know how much I got it for? A dollar. <laughs> the whole box set, perfect, pretty good box. Books in good condition, everything else in it. But I bought it for the dice and the crayons, so I can complete my collection. And uh, just bought it for the dice and crayons for a buck. Really? Yeah. Wow, dollar. That's wow. What, what happens with Mepicon was there was a lot of stuff there that were old school stuff, James. 
So, like, things like first edition books and basic edition books, everyone was just like, meh, when they saw it. So when they put it up in the auction, good old me was there, dollar, 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 and I bought, like, 100 things for, like, a dollar. So, That's great. Yeah, because no one else cared. When it came up to fourth edition, these people were like, oh, man, $20, $30, but anything else, no. And there was one other guy buying second edition stuff for a dollar, so we both made out like bandits there. Sweet. Yeah, so I gave Buck the uh, the book because him and his family were doing gaming and they really didn't have basic edition. And I said, here. Oh, well, there you go. It's a win-win. Yeah, so him and his uh, daughter and, and son, were we played in the first edition game together that was run there. So we had a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, I missed that convention. So, encumbrance. Encumbrance. Ah! I got two answers for this. Okay, what's your first? First answer is, uh, as you ran down the list... Yes. The ones that stood out to me was the weapons and armor. I can easily calculate. Uh-huh. 16 strength. I believe your encumbrance, your weight allowance is right around 350 pounds. Yeah. So with the armor and the weapons, you're looking at about 55 pounds. So you're good, guy. No problem. Just with the weapons and armor, you're well below your weight allowance maximum. Well, yeah, I know a, a, a character with 16 strength should have no problem carrying 500 pieces of gold. Right. And they Because that, that yeah. equates to 50 pounds. Yeah. Because it, it's 10, it's 10 uh, gold pieces or 10 oh, monetary units per one. It's 10 to 1 yeah. ratio, just to keep it easy. Yeah. My other answer is, don't worry about encumbrance. <laughs> yeah, I don't really sweat most of the encumbrance stuff unless someone starts in one game I actually had to worry about. it When the guy was doing Bob's Discount Furniture... And uh, he was just taking furniture from the dungeon and putting it in a cart. Right. And ugh. yeah, there's a, I was gonna say there's a great scene in uh, Baron Munchausen. Uh, if you guys saw that movie, no. where they're cleaning out the the Sultan's treasure room, and there's yes. just one guy carrying like this massive amount. The thing, the treasure pile, was at least five times his size and. <laughs> And everything, he's just carrying it right out of the Sultan's locker room, and that to me is kind of reminds me of what some characters try to get away with in like AD and D games. Yeah, yeah. Like, just pack up the treasure room and carry it on my back. That's why, it, at least for me, how I run the game, there's always somewhere <laughs> along the line there's going to be a bag of holding found. I mean, come on, you know, who wants to worry about encumbrance? I don't. I mean, and and, let, and I think you're. Like me, Vince, let's use a little common sense. Yeah. If there's a guy that's, you know, he's got full plate mail, he's got a bastard sword, large shield, uh, and a full backpack, and he's also got like a, he's like a rickshaw with a wagon behind him with all his other stuff. I would almost say the guy's pretty close to maximum encumbrance, but that's just me. Well, we went through this in my campaign <laughs> this weekend. Uh, my group, my face-to-face campaign, knows that when we play that I'm using the uh, training per level thing, which uh-huh. costs. So I've never used it before, ever, ever. And I decided this campaign, I'm going to do this, try it really well, see sure. how it goes. So they were trying to get as much gold as possible. I gave them the opportunity, and they found a point. At one point, they found 5,000 gold pieces in a trunk. So they were trying to figure out a way to put the gold in sacks and bring it with them, and they were tying it over their necks. And I go, you know, you realize you could take that easily with your strength, but when you're in a battle, you're going to be dropping that on the ground because you're not going to be worried about holding a bag of gold when your life is in danger. Right. So then they figured out some way to take the trunk between the fighter and the paladin (laughs) carrying it around. I could see that happening. 
Yep. <laughs> until they couldn't use it. Until they had to swim somewhere, they couldn't take the trunk with them. That's so. where you hope you get a bag of holding. <laughs> nope, no bag of holding at first level. Well, not at first level. Yeah. Uh, James, anything to add about the encumbrance? No, no. Honestly, I don't really keep track of it much in my games either. I think it's just it's such a distractor, especially when you're trying. Uh, years ago, I used to play with one game master who I just decided never to ever wear metal armor in his game because <laughs> he was one of those sticklers. It's like, well, you know, you have to have someone help you on with that armor. And if you try to sleep in it, this is what's going to happen. And you just imply like all these modifiers and, you know, oh. it's like. If you lay down in your armor, you're not going to be able to get up, and you're going to need to. And it's like, wow. So I think that whole game, I had some sort of warrior who just ended up wearing leather armor because at that point he just couldn't argue the point that yeah, he could actually lie down or you know keep watching this sort of thing. So I think even that drove me further into the idea of yeah, you know, worry about encumbrance when they're trying to get away with murder. Other than that, yeah. go for it. Oh, uh, yeah, with the armor taking off. I know there's you're supposed to wait a certain amount of rounds and everything. I'm like. I just usually, yeah, if, like, if they well, woke up out of the middle of the night, I I would roll a d4, and that's how many rounds if they have plate mail on, they have to take some to put it back on. So. Sure, sure. You know, because if you really want to, you know, get into it, think about actually going into a ten by ten corridor and trying to swing a great sword. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. Right. <laughs> exactly. Or carrying a ten foot pole into a dungeon. I mean, it. Yeah. So it, it, there's, a, there's a fantasy element, I think, to it that really just needs to be uh, looked at a lot more than any historical accuracy. Uh, yeah, but even with the armor, with historical accuracy, there was in the medieval period, when you, late medieval period, when you got into more of the full uh, suits of, of plate armor, uh, particularly for jousting, they were fitted so well. There were knights who they performed rather normally, could practically do cartwheels in them. Yeah, true. So, and if you saw the movie *Knight's Tale*, uh, never mind. <laughs> that's not. That's 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 basically an SCA event for the week that's been filmed. That's yeah, I mean, yeah, Queen really did play uh, festivals back in the day. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Basically, I look at *Knight's Tale* as like it's a it's a two and a half hour SCA event that you know that was from a weekend and. I watch what, it. What do you think film. about the armor that that woman produced? Do you think it was possible during that time? Uh, from my knowledge, I would say because we're talking like late for, middle late fourteenth century. Yeah, metallurgical techniques. I would say yeah. I would say you could get something close to like that. I mean, with the Nike symbol on it too. Well, not with a Nike. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean. As far as the strength, oh yeah, that's why and the and the light encumbrance too. I would say so, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Most suits were, I mean, once it's fitted to you, encumbrance is not an issue. In, in all actuality, chainmail is probably more encumbering than plate because I've worn a chainmail shirt and I felt a lot more weighted down on my shoulders than than plate would. Really? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Huh. Yeah, uh, it it just seems the. Because more weight is on your shoulders in in the plate while in, in chainmail while while you're if you're wearing so, plate it's more around your waist and even more evenly distributed. So what's heavier than uh, considering you're in the military would be like the full gear that you wear that protects you or chainmail or plate mail. What what what? How does it add up? Well, uh, yeah, when I had a 
full vest with the with the uh, ballistic plates in them. Yeah, I would say it was damn close to a uh, to chain. Really? Okay. Yeah, maybe chain was a little bit heavier. Mm-hmm. But um, I can't imagine those those that full outfit you guys wear out there in Iraq is that can't be that comfortable or light in, in game. Uh, well, you know what? You you train in it, you work in it, and you know what? You the the more you train, it, it just becomes a part of you. But so still, you, I after, mean, after a while, you just you just don't even really notice it. Uh, to be honest, when I first had to put on all that gear, when I was at Fort Dix and we were training for that, yeah, it was a real pain in the butt. But after a while, you don't even notice it. Once you get everything fitted properly to yourself, where it's best, because um, you know there's Velcro strips and everything that you can adjust the, to, the, the, to your, your, your to the sides of your body, to, you know, along yeah. your ribs and everything, and to the back. You can adjust it to where it's most comfortable, but yet gives maximum protection. Oh. It must so, have been really, when you took it off, it must have been like, whoa, I feel so much different. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, dang. It's like, now I can breathe. <laughs> I can cool off. But as far as the weight's concerned, um, it was, uh, once you get it fitted correctly to your body, the weight is not much of an issue anymore. Ah, okay. Yeah. I would say in, in D&D terms... I would say be comparable to like wearing banded mail. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah. Sounds cool. Yeah. Okay, so email number two. Thanks, Buck. Uh, we'll go over to email number two now. Thanks, Uncle Buck. <laughs> Gentlemen. Buck Fata. You're right there, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> this email, next one, he starts with gentlemen, and I look around the room going, where? Yes, where? <laughs> Thanks for all your work on the podcast. I listen to most of them and find them both education and entertaining. <laughs> They're educational and entertaining. We're educational, Nick. Wow. I have a question for you on the Vancey and Magic system. Back oh, in me? one of... Not you, just he said you in general. Oh, okay. <laughs> Back in one of the early episodes, Jason mentions that Gary had written articles on why he selected the system. I'm guessing opposed to... I'm guessing opposed to a spell point system. Oh, I'm guessing opposed to... Okay. Mm-hmm. I've always just accepted this, but really was wondering why about some elements about it. The ideas of levels, that some magic is just too complicated for some magic users who lack the skill and experience. And the need to learn or research new spells. Various, sorry, I can't read today, research new spells versus just inheriting and knowledge. Always made sense. However, the idea of a very powerful wizard not being able to cast light because he hadn't memorized that morning doesn't add up for me. I can't imagine Merlin turning and saying, sorry, I can't unlock that door because I didn't memorize that spell today. Seems a little strange. Now, I haven't read any of the Vancian books, so I'm admittedly in the dark on that. So any insight you can provide would be appreciated. Many thanks. Ballista Fodder. Okay. I don't have read any of the Vancian books, so I can't help you there. I can help you. I've read them. Go for it. Read them. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Short answer, read them. It'll make some sense. I, I, and also, I, in light of the, uh, the the book I read from Jim Ward, uh, Rick, uh, suggested uh, playing at the world gives some uh, explanation why Gary decided on a Vancian magic system was because what he was most familiar with was and what he thought made sense and was most enjoyable. And there had to be some sort of controls built into the game, and two, 
You know, you didn't want to have wizards too powerful, but it, there wasn't a, the idea, a concept of a point system at the time. So he went with what he knew, and he he looked at Jack Vance, the Dying Earth series, and said, hmm, okay, this is a kind of a control I can put into the game for magic users and, to a lesser degree, clerics and what would come up to the subclasses there, thereafter, uh, a, 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 tie, a kind of a stopgap. And that would be you have to memorize the spell per level, and once you cast it, you quote-unquote forget it. And that was kind of the, 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 uh, the cap that he put on it, so you wouldn't have this... You wouldn't have – he couldn't think of another system how he could do that as far as controlling the magic in the game. Ah, uh, okay. That that makes sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I always – when I was younger, I kind of questioned it like he's doing right now, and I just kind of over time went, meh, that's the system. I don't yeah, really care. Yeah, that's really what I got out of that uh, – out of both the, the book, uh, Playing at the World, and reading the Mancing System was that's all what Gary knew at the time what could be available as a influence from the – from the Dying Earth series was, yeah, you you memorize a spell, you cast it, and you quote-unquote forget it. There wasn't an idea of a, of a point magic system at that time. I think quickly afterwards, I think Tunnels and Trolls incorporated a point magic system. But, um, yeah, that was the reason why. And um, I, I have, uh, EverQuest, I'm good with it. EverQuest and World of Warcraft have a point magic system in it, too, if you buy the RPG books that they have. Right, and that works because it's yeah. based off that, that MMO. MMO. Yeah. Yeah. So a point-by system works in that kind of game. Yeah, But so. I think it's also one of the ways you look at it, too, because um, besides, say, if thinking about a, a wizard memorizing the spell and then be able to cast it and the spell is gone, it's also a possibility that a magic user also perhaps knows how much arcane energy he can channel in one day and chooses his spells to accommodate his limitations. So it's not that he's memorizing it and forgetting it. It's just that's how much he knows that he can channel per the day. Sure. It's just an alternate way of looking at it. Yeah, that's another way of looking at it too. And then yeah. also referring to the to our email as far as like, you know, if he can't you cast knock on a door because he didn't memorize that spell for a day, if it's in his spell book, he can cast it out of the spell book. It'll just be wiped out of the spell book. Yeah. There's no reason why you can't do that either. I mean I think I talked about it before in my in my campaign with my my daughter Anna and her friends. They came to a point where they were going up against a bunch of brigands. They needed that sleep spell, and he already used it once. So he, in a pinch, cast it out of the spell book. It was wiped out, but you know, there's no reason why he couldn't rememorize it again, maybe in the future. Or make up make scrolls at lower levels, make scrolls with the right spell. Right. Yeah, you can I've, do that. Yeah. I think around sixth level, I believe you can start making scrolls. No, you could do it earlier than that. I thought. Is it earlier than that? I thought it was around sixth. Was it? I would have to look. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's sixth level because most scrolls in duration and ability are around sixth level ability. Than when you find protection scrolls. And also the point, like James was saying, with the arcane magic, you know, energy per day. A lot of the upper level spells, I think after fifth level. You start getting some age based on casting those spells as well. So yeah, with magic there is a price. Yeah, but I wanted to look that up real quick because I do have a player in my campaign that has been using the right spell, so which is able to transcribe like first level spells. Mm-hmm. So I just want to take a quick peek at that. 
But what what do you think about that, Nick? Would you let a player do that at all, first level or no? The transcribe spells on a scroll? Or... Yeah, not anything. Just something he knows already. For example, maybe the sleep spell like you were using before. Um, I think at first level he's still too low level to start getting that knowledge. I wouldn't put it past a party if they had enough money. They could maybe find a scroll with like sleep or magic missile or something like that on it. Like if they were in a large enough town or city. Maybe they could, hey, we have X amount of gold. How much would it be for us to get a scroll with a couple of spells from you, a wise mage? You know, I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. Well, according to the right spell, I mean to the spell, a magic user might be able to inscribe a spell he or she cannot understand at the time due to level or lack of sufficient intelligence. Is it the tome or other compilation here in sure my text is here. She employs at the library, so they could actually do it. Oh, they could. Yeah. There's a role base for it, which I didn't even realize. Oh, well. Well, there you go. So but, even a first level, uh, nobody magic user could transcribe scrolls, uh, ma- uh, magic to scrolls then. Huh. Also, it's a bit is of a resource failure or something like that? Yeah, it depends on what level it is. It has a little thing here about it. Go ahead, James. Oh. Oh no! I was going to say also it's a, it's just a point of resource management too. I mean, it, it I because first of all I'll just say I hate the word balance yeah, when too. it comes to when it comes to D and D or AD and D and. I think just a lot, the wizard having the limited amount of spells cast per day is just really just kind of keeping everything in check. It's a resource. Right. If, honestly, if the wizard could just sit there and go, fireball, 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 the rest of the adventures can just kind of hang out at home or at the tavern <laughs> and, you know, just yeah, use whisper to go back and forth going, okay, is everything dead yet? Exactly. So basically, Nick, this is how it is. The magic user must make a saving throw versus magic to attempt writing any spell. Okay. A plus two if it's only up to one level greater than he or she currently is. Zero at two levels or higher, he gets a negative one per level from three levels onwards, blah, 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 blah. So there would be like same level spell, there would be no modifier, just yeah. to save. Yeah, exactly. Okay. If it fails, the magic user takes 1d4 points of damage for every level of the spell he or she was attempting to transcribe into her magic book. Ouch. And furthermore, will be knocked unconscious for like number of turns. Ouch. <laughs> this okay. damage, uh, it can be healed at a rate of one to four hit points per day. Okay. So, like, if you wanted to make a scroll and you wanted to, like, to put, like, if, if if it was me, what I would do, like, it was like I was a first-level magic user, I would, I would transcribe three spells onto a scroll. Sleep and magic missile. I'd put magic missile twice. That's just me. That's how I roll. It takes one hour per level to transcribe in this fashion during this period. The magic user is in this trance state and can always be surprised by any foe. So basically, the magic user has to take an hour out per level to transcribe the spell, which I've been doing as well. Okay. But I didn't actually roll the saving throw because I just... If you could send those rules to me, I'd like to use that, maybe. It's right in the player's handbook. It is? Page 69 under the right spell. Oh, well, raise my rent. Yeah, I've been doing everything else in here. Except for the saving throw, because I just asked him during the game, because I can't stand looking through books during a game. See, folks, even we forget stuff. <laughs> so I just asked him, and he's like, yeah, you could do a one per level. I guess he didn't realize the spot with the saving throw, or didn't bother to tell me. I don't think he did it on purpose, but I trust him enough. Whatever. Anyway, thank you, Ballista Fodder. Next email 
comes from Steven. Hello, Steven. Hello. Hi, guys. I love your show. You previously reviewed A1 Slave Pits of the Undercity. So get out your A1, Nick. Oh. Not your steak sauce. <laughs> anyway, when I, when I look at the temple map, there does not appear to be an entry point from the left side of the map to the right side, other than the two closed border closes at number 16. How are we to enter this portion of the temple properly, other than with a subterfuge or a giant crowbar? <laughs> Every time I get inspired to play this module, I get put off by this apparent error. Am I reading this map wrong? Best regards, Steven. Uh, I don't know. I don't have my copy with me right away, so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I think we actually uh, we actually went over that, how to get around that. So I think so, too. I, I just don't remember off the top of my head what it was. Yeah, I don't know. Well, hey, worst case, you're running it. Put a freaking door in there. <laughs> Why not? It's your adventure. Mm. Do what you want. Yeah. What do you think, James? No, I'm I'm with Nick. I mean, honestly, especially a lot of the uh, the older modules, uh, just sometimes things were overlooked. And as the game master, you just kind of need to say, all right, well, this is where it's uh, this is where it's logical to put something like that. Yeah. Uh, good example of that is module N1, Against the Cult of the Reptile God. If either one of you are familiar with it, there's a maze, and they forgot to put an exit to the darn maze. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never got fixed in any of the, of the subsequent printing, so it's like, hmm, darn, uh, yeah, I'll just put the exit right here. <laughs> so it happens, you know, sometimes an editor misses things. Yeah, just you're the GM, uh, the DM. Just your module, you do as you want. Yeah, you see an error, fix it. Yeah, it's fix cool. It. I mean, I don't understand why there's 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 people out there who think when you have these the 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 you know like I've always said I'm I'm a lazy DM. I use mostly <laughs> modules for my games, but I'll modify them to my game to where I like. You know, I'm not not going to follow the each darn bit of text out there lavishly. I mean, you just got to wing it at times or just do what you feel is best for your game. Yeah. Well, we'll come back to this at a later time. Yeah. We'll put a pin in it. How's that? Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll earmark that for later. Yeah. (laughs) All right, our last email comes from John. Hi, guys. Great show. I finally got the Temple of Elemental Evil after like 30 years. Yay! (laughs) Rock on. I have been wanting to buy this darn module all my life, but until recently, the high prices on eBay in the UK put me off. Understood. Yeah. I finally picked up the module this week as a PDF download from the Wizards, and it looked great. You guys, yeah, it's out there for nine ninety nine. I know, isn't that great? Oh, it's awesome. I'm glad everybody get access to that adventure. One of my favorites. You guys must have all played this module. What advice would you give me to run it? Now, oh, yeah. uh, I'll say right away, I've never played in this module. I have played in Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil module, so. Mm-hmm. and I've never DM'd this module, so I'm going to have to abstain from this one. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, I've run this. I've run both versions, the Hackmaster one and the regular first edition AD&D one. And as far as preparing it, uh, obviously, like with any module, read it through, cover to cover. You know, t- take it wherever you go, you know, in the bathroom, wherever you want to go, where you, you know, read it. Get familiar with the, uh, you know, with the whole thing. 
Um, I would also recommend, uh, I know on uh, dragonsfoot.org, under their World of Greyhawk uh, forums, mm-hmm. there is a uh, there is a thread for uh, for the Temple of Elemental Evil, and it lists. And I'm looking at it right here. See if I can find it. Do it was near at the top of the page. Uh, Temple of Elemental Evil questions. There's a thread called Temple of Element Elemental Evil questions, and also uh, Drexlorn's Temple of Elemental Evil research project. Drexlorn's Temple of Elemental Evil research project. I highly, highly recommend going to that thread. Okay. In fact, I will probably copy and paste that into to our uh, window here for Skype that um, there's like everything that this guy has done a great research on all the different little bits of errata, things that were missing. And there are things that are missing in the module, some things that might not make sense. Um, and that's okay. If Highly recommend you go into this thread reading through a lot of this stuff and it'll give you, it's a good compilation of all the different things to the temple of elemental evil. I call it like a companion, almost a companion book to this adventure. So those are the, that's probably the biggest thing I would say as far as running it, anything else, you know, if you're, you know, you're good enough DM and, you know, you got experience under your belt. You know what you need to do as far as other things and, you know, how your players are. But as far as other resources, highly recommend going to Drex Lauren's uh, uh, thread on this. It was a wonderful resource for me when I first started running um, this module for for my daughter's uh, friends. Okay. And, yeah, it's great. Just go to it and... Everything that you ever wanted to know about the temple, but were afraid to ask, it's in there. Sounds like a book. Everything you want to know about the temple, but were afraid to ask. <laughs> I found out something here about when they were talking about Hamlet, uh, the you know the original T one village of Hamlet, which is incorporated into Temple of Elemental Evil. One thing I didn't know is the one cleric at the end, who spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Who, which, which uh, evil god he's well, supposed to be with? It wasn't supposed to be with that god. It's supposed to be with um, the one in the actual T one through four series. So I'm not being. A, you can read it all in there. There's T- some great stuff in there. T one like Terminator. Oh, sorry. No. Oh, sorry. Village of Hamlet. Sorry. <laughs> so, what do you think, James? <laughs> Oh, I agree, I agree with – it's like I keep agreeing with Nick. It's, every, it's like every word out of my mouth. I agree with Nick. I'll just oh, record that go. and I'll play it back right. for everybody. <laughs> no, <laughs> prep work is is super key. Actually, this was the first adventure I ever ran. <clears throat> so going back to like 1985, my mm-hmm. first true campaign started with Temple of Elemental Evil. And all I remember is going through Hamlet and Nulb, the, the first two towns, and just being confused – as all heck on what to do, how to get the players involved. Because there's a lot of great little subplots and story arcs that the players should pick up on before they head out to the temple itself. Mm-hmm. But because of the fact that I kind of jumped into it and was like, all right, guys, let's sit down and play. Um, yeah, I lost a lot of just background stuff that 
now reflecting back on the module some years later uh, was key to um, the players like uh, you know figuring out some things further on in. Yeah, there are subtle little nuances of that module, little uh, backstories, and also you need to be a little more familiar with the World of Greyhawk fantasy campaign setting because there are some. There's at least one instance in the uh, either in the folio or the eighty-three box set where they refer to in there that does come up in the module about a particular prince that's been missing. Ooh. So it, there's like little things in this module when you just like little gems, nuggets of information that you like you read about it later on, or when Gary talked about later on in 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 subsequent years. It's like, oh, so that's what's going on there. Oh, oh yeah, okay, now I see where you're going with that. That made oh. sense. So, yeah, and um, yeah, refer to this thread over there. It, it'll be a great companion to running that um, to running that module. And in fact, one of the things I picked up, there's some people have actually made like um, a, a key to the uh, the. You know the doors with the runes on them? Yeah. Where you look on them and you have to make a save or you can't look on them anymore? Someone actually made a, like, a little key what the explanation are to those runes, what they say in, the, in, in relation to the, uh, the, runes, the runes and sigils in the World of Greyhawk books uh, folio set, too, in the box Ooh. set. Cool. So, yeah, you find all cool little bits of information I, there. I know I saw a thread on, on Dragonsfoot the other day. I was perusing around, and someone started up a, uh, more information on the side adventures or the subplots, like James was talking about, of uh, Temple of Elemental Evil. What are the side adventures you could do well, without actually having to go to the temple? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So and there's a, I think it's also, in, in my opinion, another way of running this is I would almost recommend running another adventure before you get involved with this because it's it can be very difficult. Um, you can, I mean, if you want to stick with modules, I think you can easily incorporate module N one uh, against the cult of the reptile god into this. You love that N one, Nick. Or um, <laughs> and, I and think four, you could four. do with um, what's another low level one that would be good. S1? You could do keep of the keep on the borderlands. It'd be a good start too. Mm. I know a lot of people have done that. They've they've kind of started with keep on the borderlands on a campaign, and then they've gone in the temple of elemental evil. I think that's what the so, uh, other DM of my uh, Saturday group is running keep on the borderlands. So for his, because we we sectioned off into two groups, so I think he's running yeah. that module. Yeah, I was just trying to think of any other first or third level adventures that you could do. Treasure guess, hunt, or, treasure you hunt. know, Secret of Bone Hill is pretty close to that yeah. level limit mm-hmm. too. It's levels two to four, but I mean, well, maybe you could was, do one of the uh, the Slaver series, though. You could probably do one of those. You could if you want to do the just the individual modules. Yeah, uh, their their levels, I think four through seven. You could maybe incorporate them. I'm not sure how though. Well, what uh, TSR did uh, the super modules back in the, I think around 84, when they released Temple of Elemental Evil as a super module, uh, Scourge of the Slave Lords, and then they did um, the Giants and uh, called it Queen of the Spiders. And I think they they interlock those three super modules as a continual campaign. Right. They do. Uh, According to them, yeah. You go to – 
start with modules T1 through 4 for Temple of Elemental Evil. Then you go to the Slave Lords series, Scourge of the Slave Lords, and then uh, Queen of Spiders. And they actually, in the beginning of the modules, they also have a whole uh, couple of pages on how they integrate and what options the Game Master has. So I think that if someone wanted to integrate uh, Slave Lords into Temple of Elemental Evil, that'd probably be the way to go. Yeah, you would have to go with the Super Module because it, it... it puts the levels higher. It made the uh, they made the threat a little bit higher in the in the super module because the original fr- uh, printings were levels four through seven, and I think the super module it's levels like eight to eleven. So, yeah, they ran. Yeah, it they really beefed it up. So. But one of the things I'd probably like to do though is go back and get the original modules for um, the T series, just because in the super module, which is the one I have. The maps were printed in this little um, map little book, book. Yeah. yeah, that are impossible to see. Like especially now in my forties, I'm like squinting and yeah. holding the thing like twenty feet in front of me to like see any detail. Well, hopefully, I'm hoping. I'm not sure. I have to look on uh, the the D and D website for the um, PDFs that they have. I'm not sure if Village of Hamlet is available for PDF. Uh, I yes, it is. It oh, is wow. available. So if you want to get that, yeah, it's only for like five bucks for the PDF. I'll have to check that out. It at least it at least will have the maps for the the moat house and the dungeon below it, and for Hamlet itself. So cool. I think another good one, if you want to, I would think would be even a better fit to before you get the before you get the Temple of Elemental Evil is the U series of modules, Sinister, Secret of Salt Mars, Danger at Dunwater, and The Final Enemy. I love that U series, too. It's a great series that came out of the UK. Yeah. So I think that would be another good ramp up to Temple of Elemental Evil. At least they get a few levels under the belts of the player characters. I just, I just think, you know, Going from the you know the 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 moat house to the dungeon is a little too too much. <laughs> mm, yeah. Also, too, I mean, you could probably send the the, the player characters through um, the Lost Island of Castanomir too. I think which was C Ooh. C four. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, which is also kind of a neat little first level adventure that uh, just puts them all through kinds of traps and combat scenarios. Well, that's and, one of those uh, tournament modules, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's features. characters levels one to four, too. That would be perfect. Cool. And and these are all available, too, PDF at dndclassics.com. They're all there. Yeah, I'm so happy they finally put those back on PDF. Cause there's just a lot of great stuff out there that just was shameful. You Like, people just couldn't find it or buy it. I mean, I know. It's like you're looking at it, It's like they got – I mean, if – um, I love modules, and it's like you got Hidden Shrine of Tomoachan, Ghost Tower Inverness, yeah, uh, Descent to the Depths of the Earth. You got the you got the whole Drow series there. You even got the infamous Dungeon Land and Land Beyond the Magic Mirror. Oh, rock on! So, <laughs> if you like a Funhouse Dungeon, you got those. Oh, they even got uh, Tales of the Outer Plains, that book. So, cool. if you were using the, uh, remember the. Uh, the one book by I think it was by Jeff Grubb, the uh Planes of the uh, oh. Manual of the Planes. Manual of the Planes. Manual of the I Planes. Think yeah. Of the name. The, 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 basically the companion book for that. 
Yeah. So they got that out there. So and they keep adding more. It looks like All they right. got more of the UK series out there. So okay, that's going to be Sage Advice. Uh, RFI staff at gmail dot com five seven zero eight six five forty two ten. The hotline if you'd like to leave a voicemail, or you can go to facebook dot com slash RFI podcast to leave comments or questions. Uh, Twitter RFI podcast, which we really don't, I don't really use. I just use it to pronounce the show and throw it out there. But you can leave comments there; we'll get them. Uh, one click last thing: our buddies at N Magazine. Uh, which is and-mag.com, the first edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons fan-based magazine that is turning into a very professional, well-put-out magazine. had just released uh, the other day a book of miscellaneous spells. Oh. 50-something pages of spells, Nick. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, Andrew, who uh, who works for them, uh, he uh, he did so many spells. I can't believe I thought I was good at spells. And, like, I handed them a bunch of my spells that I did, but his spells blow mine out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. And cool. He, he, Brian, the editor-in-chief, was just telling me about that Andrew, like, makes spells up when he's, like, walking the dog or he's doing other things. Just jot something down, 30 spells in an hour or something. I don't know. He's, like, amazing. That's brilliant. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I just go in there, checking them out there for clerics, magic users, illusionists. What you could think of, it's in there. 50-something pages of them. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> free magazine go download it yep and uh i guess that's gonna head us over to some table matters now nick okay here we go okay. typical of all the evil creatures in the world i had to find one with table manners what are you kidding me i spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet table manners okay table manners this week we are going to cover the, and I think this has has gotten a bit of a reputation. This particular module, module N two, the Forest Oracle, by Carl Smith, and I think that's a pseudonym. I firmly believe that there's no Carl Smith. It's like, you know, when directors want to like disassociate themselves from a movie, they call it Alan Smithy, wherever. I think. I looked. I looked for Carl Smith when we and? first when I first pulled this up. I could not find him anywhere. So either That's the guy. What I mean, is, I think it's a pseudonym. I think it's actually someone else at TSR at the time did it when they got done with her. Like, uh, well, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, I think the person doesn't exist. You're right. Yeah, it, this was. Unless he passed away, and I really apologize if his family or somebody who knows him is listening. I apologize for that, but I couldn't find him when I did a search for him to look for him. And, Carl, if you are listening, bad monkey. Nick. <laughs> well, it, it has some flaws. But we're going to go some, some flaws. Some flaws. There are some well, flaws. I could Where say, should we begin? Well, what's, first of all, I just want to say this, this, this is chocked full of maps. I don't think yes. I've ever seen another module with this many maps in it. And I like that because you could steal every one of the maps for any one of your game, especially the in map, which is a good. Yes, layout. yeah. There's a lot of maps in this in this adventure, and that's yeah. about the only plus it's going for it, from my opinion. But, and uh, this is also I, I I looked online the one of the most worst modules and rated yeah. and out of all fans one of the worst modules ever. Yeah, and I'm. I'm just trying to think of you know, where to begin. I guess just 
just the notes for the dungeon master. It, okay, it's for levels two to four. Monsters so. table. <laughs> yeah. So Nick, why don't you ahead and uh, start us off here? Well, the forest oracle. What it, this is about in the explanation that they give at the beginning is seen from the rim of a hill. The veil looks like as a mighty pen has drawn a slash across it. The gentle hillside leading to the valley floor is golden and healthy. The great old wood beyond the veil rises in autumn splendor, but the land in between. Basically, the land is blighted. You go to this place called the Downs. This place was protected by uh, druids at one time, but there seems to be some curse that's mm. being on, on the Downs, and it's your job to basically solve why that there's this curse over the plight, and there's this plight over the land, and how you can lift the curse. And hopefully you could get the Forest Oracle of the Druids to help you out. So that's basically it in a nutshell. Yeah. Sounds like a great premise. I mean, it does. I mean, that's cool. But it... Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you want to start with this or should I go I, I, I don't know. It's like, a, like I think James said it the best before we started the show. There's like a Frankenstein monster being put together, this module. Yeah. I mean, okay, right from the beginning on the notes of the Dungeon Master here. The the wandering monster table. I'm like, okay, one giant ant, two baboons, <laughs> really baboons. I'm like baboons always hang out in uh, forests. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, it was I'm cool so with the frogs and the and the knolls, the harpies, great lizard men, but baboons. <laughs> it was so random and so like weird that I had to use it for the creature feature this month. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna cover baboons later today and tigers. Yeah, it just tigers and baboons just does not. I just don't oh see it in this kind of forest environment. And men, you know, cavemen. Yeah, cavemen. Too. <laughs> yes. Where are the cavemen? Uh, wherever you want them to be. Whenever you randomly roll, they'll be walking around. Yes. So, now, if we can have baboons riding tigers, I think that would be freaking awesome. How about here's and and the travel time that kind of stood out for me. Did you read the the the, the the one paragraph on the travel time. Oh yeah, an on foot can travel twenty miles a day, about two miles an hour. Really? <laughs> I guess so. A person could travel twenty miles a day. I don't know anybody in armor that can do two miles yeah. per hour. <laughs> so what are they running the whole entire time? <laughs> and, and then you, well, and then you get to number one opening scene. This. I have to put a little premise to this. This whole thing reads like a movie script. I think it might have been a movie script that they scrapped. Yes. It was like, okay, scene one, here we go, opening scene. Okay, you're going, to, the sun is setting, you're at the downs, and then boom! <laughs> it actually starts off all right. You have the whole, it you know, start off blah, right. blah, blah, you go into town, and see there's something wrong, and you go to the inn, and it's just like, oh, wow, cool. Oh, so, wow, it's really busy in the inn tonight. And then there's like this old man comes in and he starts talking about the blight of the downs and everything. And then he basically looks at the party and says that you have to help us. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, huh? <laughs> yeah, you're sitting there like chomping on a piece of bread going, what? And like, why us, old man? You know, it's like the day you like send a letter, you know, carry a pigeon, what? And then they tell you in the DM notes. If the party refuses to aid the downs, the townfolk will ignore them, aside from their providing their services for the party pays for. Eventually, the party will be asked to help the downs or leave. 
Well. So there's the end of the module right there if your party says no. Yeah, there you go. End of story. Great. The pain. Well, I think that's how the module should be enjoyed is the players go in, they refuse, and then they leave. Go there on you to go. something better. Exactly. Exactly. Right, but I have to throw in there. Who, who did someone just randomly come up with names? First of all, the Happy Farmer Tavern. <laughs> yeah, that Happy that just spells creativity all over yes. the place. I just picture like a drunken old farmer over a keg with a smile on his face. But, and the, yeah, Happy Farmer Tavern Map One A. There, starting with maps already. Here we go. Yeah. And well, there's th- a generous amount of box text in this thing. A lot. <laughs> Did you see the name of the the tavern owner Milos Thunderchin? Yeah. Um okay. <laughs> Thunderchin from the Thunderchin clan of um wherever this place is, the Downs. Thunderchin. Yes. Thunder Thunder. It Thunderchin. Is, almost oh, reads like one of those old it reads like like when you're starting the journey. Go ahead. It reads like you're playing a text-based game of Zork. <laughs> Early the next morning, the mage explains, follow the new wilderness road until you reach the old wilderness road. <laughs> Dig in his pocket and extracts an old talisman. This is a talisman of protection from evil. It may be of help. Really? Okay. What's wow. the thing? I mean, I read that. I'm like, that is about as uninspired as toilet paper. Wow, Nick. But it's like reading, like, God, this is like someone played a game of Zork or Bard's Tale back in the day, and they just, like, transcribed the text into an AD&D module. Like, and, and well, look it, at that. The talisman of protection from evil is uh, italicized, too. So it's great. <laughs> I know. That's why I was thinking that. And, then, and again, the names, the new wilderness road, the old <laughs> wilderness road. Ooh. <laughs> and I guess the party's blind because it's a spot here in case they miss it, which they're supposed to miss it. So, All right. Yeah, because adventurers are blind. They can't see yeah, roads. That, so, so they go on the road and they get attacked by brigands. <laughs> okay. And the brigand, this is another thing that was a, a, a actual, a real pet peeve for me about this module. Yeah. And, and, I think you guys probably caught this on here, that the one leader has a sword plus one. What kind of sword? Sword plus one. Is it a long sword? Is it a broad sword? Is it a bastard sword? What kind of sword? You know, I I have a feeling, and I've seen this throughout the text of this module, I have a feeling that this was originally written for basic. basic. Yeah, I thought the same thing, too, after reading the whole thing. I, I really did. Yeah, there's also another point here, too. Of the magic items. There's also another point here where it says male plus one. Right. What type? Plate mail? Chain mail? What? 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 <laughs> email? What? Yeah, an email plus one. Bling! You've got mail. <laughs> so, it yeah, it's like and the guy says, armed with a sword and spear. What kind of sword? What kind of... What? All right, fine, I'll wing it. You know, <laughs> They both apparently do the same damage, too. They both do two to seven points, so... Right. It's one of those infamous sword spears. Well, it says sword plus one damage, one to six. I'm assuming it then it's a short sword then. Okay, fine. <laughs> so Ugh. they they deal with these brigands. They find us. And I have to say the magic are, are – it's pretty pretty lame on the magic in this module. A potion – a scroll of gaseous form. Well, we'll get on to the potions in a second because there's yeah. some weird potions. Why is everything, every gift from an NPC a potion? 
Yes. And, and yeah, that's another <laughs> in this whole module. Everything's a flipping potion. Yeah. If you do this, I'll give you this potion. It's like, oh, thanks. Yes. I do like it if they go to the brigands hideout, that if they mess with the corral, they get butted by uh, by billy goats. Yeah, well, this whole part could be cut out when the party kills the brigands anyway, so what's the right. chances that one's going to be alive at the end? Yes. Most of the I party is going to be, ha-ha, they're trying to kill me, I'm going to kill them. I know. But just so in case. They, they deal with the brigands, and they go on to this quiet lake. Do <sighs> uh, you want to take this one, the quiet lake? Uh, the quiet lake is like a, I have no idea where this even came from. The Quiet Lake, basically there is a nymph there. Yes. And her lover lives in this cabin near the lake. And I guess she got jealous. And she poured a sleeping potion into the into the water lake with a duration potion mixed in. So that as long as you're near the lake and drink this water, you are passed out sleeping. It affects the whole lake. Yeah. Really? Yeah. One potion, apparently enough to do the whole thing. Yeah. That that's what kind of blew my mind. I'm like, that's one hell of a potion. Yeah. So when you go inside the house, you find her lover sound asleep because apparently she drugged him too, because right. she got jealous. Well, he drank from the lake. I thought. Oh, what well, did he? I thought he drank. Yeah, he drank from the lake. I believe. But I don't understand. She doesn't have a clue how to wake him up. <laughs> yeah, but yet she says, uh, after the party awakens, Yvonne or even Yvonne, Chloe gives them a potion to pour into the lake. This antidote for the sleep enchantment on the lake. She gives them enough to purify the whole lake, but the entire potion must be poured in. Why did she do that herself? I have no idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, wait, it says here she cannot awaken him and is obviously too distraught to think of a clear solution to her problem. But yet she has enough sense to say, oh, this potion here will uh, fix the lake, though. What? <laughs> what? Well, here's something fun, too. In the stat block, Evan the Forester, it gives it as attack one, damage two to seven, axe. Oh, you caught this, too. Yeah, yeah, but when you go into what Evan has, he owns a longbow and a dagger. (laughs) So, (laughs) which one is it? So if he gets an axe, he's going to be really nasty, but, you know. In actuality, yeah, he's just got a long bow and a dagger. I figured this out. In actuality, his other arm is an axe. Oh. So like Bruce Campbell had a chainsaw, he has an axe for an arm. Maybe maybe he does damage like an axe. Maybe he's actually a monk and not a fighter. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he has an iron chop or something like that. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that adventure that part of the adventure does not make sense either. I don't <laughs> I don't even think it's even needed. I mean, what's the point? Well it, it, it it's a filler. Yeah. It, you don't need it though. Basically to get they get a potion of invisibility. Oh my god, another potion. <laughs> is it maybe to gear to see if your party's good? I don't know. I couldn't No. To get experience points? Yeah, I guess to get experience points, but it just seems silly this thing. It does. It doesn't fit in at all. It's just a random it's a random encounter. Yeah, a, literally a random <laughs> that was encounter. Written down. It's like the guy who wrote this, he's like, Okay, I'm just gonna go through the DMG here, roll random counters. Oh, nymph. Okay, good. Well, at least she does give them 100 gold pieces each, along with the yeah. potion, so. Whoopee! <laughs> well, if you're fourth level, yeah, it's like, whoopee. Yeah. Yes. 
Oh, oh, this is great. The next thing. So you go to this pavilion that, you know, that where the nymph resides and you revive her lover or you just kill them all. I really don't care at this point. <laughs> <laughs> kill the nymph. That's a lot of experience points. Anyway, so you go to the Wildwood Inn. Now, at first, it's actually started off pretty cool. Yeah, this is. Uh... This started off pretty good. Yeah, it did. I, actually, all right. I, I actually like the name of the guy. Bolo Soft Soul. I, I actually like that name. Very that's, good halfling name. That's a great halfling thief name. So, and I'm he's and I kind of like the explanation behind this guy. He's like he was once uh, uh, he's a retired thief, made enough during his life by, by this remote inn. Does great good business here. I'm like great. He's trying to turn honest and everything. Would not think of stealing from or cheating a guest. I'm like okay, that's cool. That is I cool, like yeah. that. Then we get into what happens during the night. Okay, yeah, there's some... Wait, wait, don't forget about the rumors, though. Oh, the rumors. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the rumors. Oh, okay. And the rumors, some of them are okay. Some of them are like, wait a minute, I've already been through that encounter. <laughs> like the quiet lake is a sad place. Yeah, we've been there. Basically, it goes by the hours of the night. So if the players want to spend all night, or I should say characters, not players, characters want to spend all night in the in the inn area or tavern area eating and drinking. Which they are. From 6 to 10 p.m. Because at 10 p.m., obviously, he closes the doors and shuts the lights off. <laughs> Go to yeah. bed! <laughs> yeah, it's like, 10 o'clock. All right, everybody out. <laughs> it's I don't bed- care. It's bedtime. It's like, I don't care if I'm making money and uh, at 10 o'clock, I got to get my sleep. Yeah, Obviously, but- not that much uh, of a good... <laughs> Like halfling, the tavern closes at 10 p.m. Bolo sends all customers off to their rooms. The lights go out. And the tavern becomes still. Too bad. Finish your drink and get out. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> really. <laughs> and then this is where it gets a little strange. Yeah, I didn't understand how he doesn't. Obviously, realize. Bolo is off when he turned over a new leaf. Became incredibly stupid <laughs> and got all about his thieving abilities entirely. Entirely. Because what happens? These, well, first of all, why would? Oh, I gotta get my gather my thought here for a second. But there's a bunch of were rats living living out of the inn, using it as a base of operations, which he doesn't have a clue about. Right. Why the heck would he let were rats in his inn? Well, obviously, well, they're not poly. They're not turned into were rats during the day. They probably look like normal people, you know. Yeah, but the way they look, though, I mean, the way they act, he would realize it. Because Bolo's an idiot. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> and they and they have secret doors built inside the inn. Doesn't he? Didn't he hear? Yes, yes I know. <laughs> like, does he not inspect his own inn for stuff? Did he not hear them making these walls? Yes. Did he, yeah. It's like it's like here. What's going on up there? <laughs> nothing, nothing. Nothing. We're nothing. good. <laughs> What's all that banging? Um, we're doing stuff. Oh, okay. Carry on. <laughs> really? Uh, so anyway, these were rats. Pretty much, they will cast sleep on the party if there is somebody on watch, so they can rob the party. Yeah, and they will so, keep. Does doing it, it say cast sleep, or do you just have to save versus sleep, or you might fall asleep? If he uh, let's see, blah, 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 blah. this spell will be cast on each party member coming on watch until one successfully okay, is put so to sleep. So it was sleep. a spell. Yeah. Which I was just like, uh, okay, <laughs> fine. So they cast it, and they go through the secret doors that obviously Bolo never saw. 
ever. No. In the past three months that these guys have been staying there. Yes, they've been staying there for about three months. And he never put two and two together that they were robbing. Oh, no. Not no, at all. Not at all. Because, you know, Bolo here is a moron. So, well, but, these but, were rats, and what's their treasure? More lot. potions. Yeah, a lot of potions. And so <laughs> Well, also, you... it gets me as the next paragraph, because if Party uh, recovers the treasure from the were-rats, Bolo will wish to return it to its rightful owners. <laughs> um, he was a thief, right? Yeah. Yeah. But... <laughs> I, know, I just can't picture a thief being like, oh, well, Remember, he found he their treasure. to leave, Bolo did. So. But he lets them have 25%. Oh, well. Yeah. I... How nice of him, right? <laughs> that's That's the finder's fee, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Schmuck. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that's the whole wear rat encounter. Just and you get to keep the potion, by the way. Oh boy! Of healing. Does it say? I thought there was. Oh, potion of healing with two doses. Okay. Yeah. And the PC's possessions. What? <laughs> they get their stuff back <laughs> that was stolen. So, oh, okay. So when they fell asleep, they took their stuff. Yeah, pretty right. much that's what happens. Oh, okay. And Got there's it. like the whole scene with um with them if they wake up and they see them that if they don't see them actually run through the secret door, they have no clue where they went. I'm like <laughs> any seasoned adventuring party, even well, e- even going down that player all players, you're going to in, what are you gonna do? You're searching everywhere for secret doors. Or at it's least like, have, yeah. you're not gonna discover these secret doors, please. Yeah. You're going to find these guys. You're going to kill them in the story. Ugh. So. Then we go on to the horns of the dragon, which like is like a throwaway thing again, too. Yeah, because yeah, uh, <laughs> Bolo tells him to follow the old wilderness road. It will lead you safely to the Dragon Teeth Mountains and the old Dwarven Cave. But it has a map, so it must be important. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. This cave. <laughs> Yeah. At first, it kind of started off okay. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I'm I'm cool with, like, the dwarven skeletons that you run across. I'm good with that, you know? What uh, what uh, animates I'm, them to become skeletal? What? How, I don't know. How did they become skeletal? I don't know. How did they become animated skeletons? What? They, I mean, obviously, they died, but what, just... Those, Maybe the place is cursed. All right, I'll go with that. Yeah, that's... that's yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with that, too. Maybe, so. maybe it's cursed. I'll go with that. Everything is cursed, including the module itself. So, <laughs> yeah, you run across some dwarven skeletons. They animate and attack when you touch them, blah, blah, blah. They, each skeleton possesses 25 gold pieces in a pouch. Apparently, they all got paid. Before they yeah. died. <laughs> they got their paycheck and forgot to go to the bar. Yeah. All six of them got hit, with, got hit over the head. So, then you get to cavern number three. Ugh. And this is where you find probably the most annoying NPC I've ever known just because of the text that's associated with him. Should I read this? Go ahead. Oh, yes. this is joyful. The tunnel to the northwest leads to an empty cavern. This is evidence of a mining in the past. Chipped rocks and other debris covered the floor. High-pitched laughter rings out behind a large boulder, and out steps a tiny hunched figure dressed in rags and shredded chainmail. 
I see you found your way in past the orcs, tee hee hee. <laughs> you must be very, very careful, or they catches you and does bad, bad things to you. I know, I have seen them. They can't catch me, tee hee hee. They try. Oh, I can't read anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I will actually just bash my head on the floor. Yes, this guy, Thisvin Talis. Yeah, I'd probably say it that he's way. He's crazy. Yes. So he's. The, this is terrible. Terrible. And you have to roll to see if he actually speaks correctly or insanely. Yeah, but that's just terrible flavor text. They can't catch me, tee hee hee. Hee hee, they can't catch me. Oh, really? Please. A dwarven fighter talks like that who's insane? No. <laughs> no. Well, he's insane. Oh, well, he's just stupid, too. Oh, okay. So, yeah, more, I, oh, gosh. I know why you're here. <laughs> craftily. The orcs have searched for ages for my secret. They can't have it, tee-hee-hee. Oh, God. <laughs> no, one, no one can have it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unless I want them to. So, yeah, he travels along with you, I because guess. Because there's orcs in this cave. You. That's why. Yeah. There's a lot of orcs in this cave, actually. Yeah, um, he follows on to a. There's another cavern. Is that supposed to be a picture of him in that in that picture there? Yes. That doesn't fighting look the, uh, fighting the Osquip. That doesn't yes. look like ragged clothes with ragged chainmail. It looks like a normal fighter to me. Yes, it looks like a dwarven fighter carrying a club. Yeah, it doesn't look weirder. He looks normal. Yeah. This probably came from like the Jeff Easley stock art collection TSR had stockpiled somewhere. Because, yeah, it doesn't fit the scene at all. No. I mean, just with the Osquip, yeah. Maybe they had this pit. Maybe the. the I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> apparently, uh, the Thistlevane guy turns into the Incredible Hulk during the battle, so. Yes. So they find uh, a suit of chainmail and a sword plus one. Obviously, we are not sure what kind of sword it is. <laughs> Thisman knows what the items are, but he must be sane to tell the party the truth. Otherwise, he will tell them there are bracers of fumbling, chainmail plus three, and a cursed sword. Now, this cursed sword thing, what the heck do they mean there? The In the parentheses thing. Uh, I don't know. I didn't know what the SSESX yeah. minus, is that minus or plus? Plus two. Yes, yeah, I, I think that was meant like that you were supposed to put in Oh, short sword. Short sword. Curse short sword, but what's the E? I don't know. Is that Spanish for end? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it maybe is. It's a maybe it's a variable. Maybe What's what's the SX? It sucks. <laughs> so it's curse a sword sucks plus it's a, two. It's a cursed sword. A cursed short sword and it sucks plus two. <laughs> Okay, sounds like something an insane dwarf would say. <laughs> okay. So they fight an Osquip. Wonderful. Great. We incorporate which, a monster from the Fiend Folio. Hooray. Which he becomes insane during the battle. <laughs> and, he's, and he yells out, I got you orcs now. He's fighting an Osquip. <laughs> what? And his, huh? his strength huh? increases too. You what? His strength increases too. Yes, the 1875 strength. <laughs> And he tears off his shirt and he comes green. He has purple shorts. He's the incredible dwarf. And then he loses one of his arms. Yeah, great. 
Yeah, it's like a play-by-play, blow-by-blow of this uh, of the fight. Yeah, this woman runs around hitting at the Osgood with a wooden club. Oh, the Osgood comes back and takes a bite out of him, leaving an arm hanging and useless, Bob. What do you think? Well, the Osgood used a really good uh, <laughs> position there. When he jumped with all six legs in the air, biting on the arm... I honestly think the biting method could have been... Blo- I can go on and on about this. Yeah, I think the dwarf there, you know, doing the, using the club is really to his advantage there, Bill. I, I think maybe he was watching wrestling at the time and heard them doing play-by-play commentary, so he decided to add it in. Yeah. It's like, this, this, it's just this module has Tourette's syndrome. <laughs> so... You get to another cavern. There's some giant eels... Yeah. Uh, a little wink and nod the the Gary Gygax if you slit them open you find a ring of fire protection but here's the thing it says in the first one and a magic wand <laughs> with one remaining fireball in the second well why don't you just say a wand of fireballs with one charge Charge. I don't know oh because the editing in this is atrocious. atrocious yes yeah really yeah and caverns oh, Editor yeah. Was... There's a, and then there's the orcs and C. Gray was the editor of this. Well, he should be drug out in the street. She should be Anne. Anne. Well, just she needs a bad talking to. Wretched, <laughs> <laughs> wretched woman! <laughs> so they find the orcs. <laughs> They're part of the bloody hand band. Who cares? <laughs> the bloody hand band. <laughs> that sounds like something from Josie and the Pussycats. Yes. <laughs> We're going to fight or the Partridge family. Today we're going to go against the Bloody Hand Band. Yes. So they might get captured. And, I think, yes. Oh, and this is where it gets to the treasure that they have. Oh, yeah. More potions. If they're ne- if they're not captured, they be- they they kill these orcs. More potions. <laughs> and there becomes the stupid were-tiger potion, which I have no idea what does with this, anything. Yes. A <laughs> one scroll of protection from were-tigers. Really? A scroll of protection from undead. Okay, that's useful. Okay, cool, potion of speed. Useful. Potion of plant control, potion of giant control. Which could but come in a handy. a scroll from protection from were-tigers, that clinches it right there that this guy who made this just randomly <laughs> put in, he just let the dice go, man. Yeah. He just randomly, whatever happened, happened. This was made over a weekend. <laughs> I have to say the next picture, that's it, of the orc standing there with the spear. Yeah. Looks like he's ready to fart. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hold on, guys. <laughs> like he's like putting his hand up and he's going to crack one out in the middle of a conversation. Just it's letting like, one loose. My name's Brutus. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, I'm sorry. That's the first thing I thought. I was like, the guy's cracking one out. At least when he talks about the orcs, they do have pig faces. Yes, they do. Pig snout that faces, yes. Pig snouted humanoids with conversing grunts and slurred sounds. Well, that's a... Another one of two redeeming factors of the module. But look at the look at the the um, the flavor text box on the picture page. The orc actually speaks pro- more properly than the dwarf, which also kind of yes, Gary. You were to cut firewood and gather brush for fires today. Come with us. Thank you, kindly orc. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the rest will be taken back to the cavern and tortured to death. Yes. The rest of you to gather brush and fallen branches. Well, Thing. apparently the orc was had a British accent that day. I yes. have no idea. This is with a bloody hand band. 
It's just like he hands you an axe and tells you, why wouldn't you just take that axe and just kill him? You have your armor on. <laughs> yes. So. Turn it on him, bash his head in, done. <laughs> but no, they're assuming that you're going to let the party get stay captured for a while. Right. So we're done with that encounter, and it trudges onward. So mm. we had, what was it, a nymph before? Now yeah. what do we have next? A dryad. A dryad. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Better another, than a nymph. Yes, nymph and a dryad. And wow. this is another situation where it was like you help her or else. Yeah, there was no way around this thing. Yeah, you, you, you there's some orcs around. You you kill these orcs because they're going to cut down her tree. Or else. And, and I, why is there flavor text for battling the orcs? <laughs> I don't know. Really? Why? Why? I don't have no it, idea. It doesn't need it. In the flavor text, it even actually says, If. If an elf or dwarf picks up the blade, they recognize it as a dwarven blade, which has forged from the elves. In orc hands, it was unknown, but it is a sword plus one. That's the flavor text, people. I, I, I think Don't use they, flavor text to say the pluses of weapons. <laughs> I, I think this is not the only spot I saw them mess this up. Because right where it starts with, if the orcs are killed, why is that flavor text? Yeah, I think they, I think they, they messed up the that up. Box. Yeah. They do it with uh, uh, the druid later on, if you notice, too. Yes, yes. Uh, the, 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 the dryad here presses. Yeah, you, have, you can't get around this encounter. There's no way around and, this and, encounter. You know, you dis- she disappears inside your tree because you helped her. And what does she give you, everybody? Uh, a potion. A uh, potion. Yeah. Well, they do. This is the land of magic potions. It's a potion of levitation. Great. Yeah, you're level two, three, or four. Stewards are in the tree, though, overnight, if you want. How do you get in the tree? Uh, She lets you in. Oh, okay. (laughs) No explanation on, like, how the tree looks inside, what her story might be. It's just, you can hang out with the dryad in her tree. She'll let you stay with her. Because all dryads are perfectly... Perfectly good, lawful people. Yes. We all know that. And here's another thing I noticed throughout this whole thing. Because there's like, you know, there's a chance that the party might get lost if they go on their own trying to find the the old wilderness trail or whatever. Um, What if you got a ranger in the party? He gets gets lost because he's stupid, apparently. Apparently so. Because (laughs) when you go to the Wild River... Which is the next thing? He's not going to be identify these warg for footprints at all. And this is page thirteen of this thing, and it's yeah, only thirteen pages into this. Thing. And this is only a quarter of the module, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a train wreck the whole way through. You know what I'm thinking, actually, James? Now you you mentioned this before earlier that it was a Frankenstein module put together. Mm-hmm. I wonder if these were a bunch of dungeon magazine adventures that they threw together. And it, they couldn't put them in the magazine because it didn't make a cut, and they wanted to make some extra money at the time, so they just threw it together as a module. Yeah, I kind of got that feeling that this module overall, went, however it was thrown together, was like, you know, we got this end series that's been kind of sitting here for a while. We yeah. only got the first module, which was great. Yeah. We got to do end two. What do we do? Uh, we got a bunch of random encounters from other modules that didn't fit in. Okay, let's go with that. Well, these were written to go inside Dragon or Dungeon, and then they just couldn't fit yeah. it at the time. It got cut. And then, like, whoever... 
at the time, but why don't we just put it as one module? Here, Carl. Yeah, let's put here. it together. And I put quotations more. Carl, because you know, it's just not his name. Why don't you yeah. tie this all together somehow? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I tell you, that's an alias. He didn't want to be associated with this thing. You know what? Next time we have a guest on from the TSR past, let's ask him who Carl Smith is. Yeah. Who is Carl Smith? We'll have to ask Tim. Maybe Tim Cast knows. Um, I don't know. Oh, wait a minute. This was after Tim was there. Yeah, this, this was, was 1984. Yeah, Tim was long gone. Frank yeah, would probably know. Frank would know. Yeah. Yeah. And if Frank laughs, we know the person's fake. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So we go to this river. Who cares what its name is? And it's a wild river. Oh, is that the name of it? The wild river? It's just a wild river. Oh, my God. It's the pl- it's. I I know I'm going to call this this place this land Generica. <laughs> yes, it's, it's the it's the kingdom of Generica because everything is so damn generic. Because it says it'll fit into any fantasy campaign setting. That's probably why I hate it so much. You know what the best thing of this module is so far, other than the two things that we found. Some of the artwork's okay. Uh, the chapter headings, so like the little. Box there at the top with the little B, and it says East of the Dragon Mountain. Yes, the font you can remember. <laughs> That's probably the coolest thing I've seen here so far. So we get to the Wild River. What happens here? Ugh. They all should dive into the river at this point because it's just it's not worth going <laughs> any further. Just, just put yourself out of misery. Just drown yourselves. There's this stupid rope bridge there, which you obviously you have to walk on, but it doesn't tell you how much weight it could hold or. Just that one party member could go at a time, and when he reaches the middle, the other party member can start moving. How are they supposed to know that? Yeah. I kind of looked at that, and I'm like, I wouldn't think that if I was playing it. So. Here's, I love the random item that could be lost in the river. Number three. Yeah. A magic item is lost, or 200 gold pieces that the party member has. Now. Exactly 200 gold. <laughs> if really. You, if you don't have that, too bad. You lose it's, it. it's like the river it just like reached up with a hand <laughs> to your backpack. Snatch. 200 gold. <laughs> <laughs> the river knows. It counts money. It's an accountant for a living. Apparently so. But it's falling? Like, really? So falling over off this thing, you roll a dexterity check, which is fine. But then yeah. you roll another dexterity check to see if you straighten up. He, he must once... Yeah. The water sweeps the party member towards some rocks near the eastern shore of the river. He must once again roll his dexterity or less to receive one well, to two falls. damage being battered on the rocks. So you, if you fail your first dex check on the... On the that's the, that's when he falls. I'm talking before he falls. No, that's after. Is it? I think it was a part he had to roll. No, you, you have two dex checks, basically, basically, you're making here. If you're going across the bridge, you make a dex check, you fail, you fall in the water. As you're being swept through the river, you got to make another one so you can avoid the rocks and be bashed against them <laughs> as you're being swept down the river. And yeah, then I scroll you. down these. Oh, yeah, look, he, each member must attempt crossing the bridge, must roll a dexterity check or less. If he fails, he must roll again. Or fall into the water. So there's actually three. Yeah, he has a check to see if he falls and a check to see if he actually falls. And then another check to avoid the rocks when you <laughs> fall in. That's wow. Kinda, that's kind of weird. Yeah, kind of redundancy. <laughs> it's the department redundancy, department of redundancy. And then we get more maps. More maps. I have to admit, I do like the ruins of the castle. That's a pretty good 
castle man. And the inn is is perfect for if yeah. you just want to steal that for your adventure. If anything, yeah. folks, just pilfer this thing for the maps. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much. Well, also going back to what uh, Vince was talking about, realistically, you can just take this module, piecemeal it out, and just it's like I need an encounter in a wilderness. You know, what I mean, yeah, you could just throw something in. From yeah, here. because it's so convoluted you. in its as far as how it's connected. You could take any one part of this thing and just throw it in as a random encounter in any other game. I- I'm telling you, this had to have been written for piece by piece for a Dragon Magazine and didn't make the cut. Yeah, something like that, or a bunch of other adventures that they were already previously published. These were like the throwaway encounters from them, something like that, yeah. So you get across the, the, the river, you get attacked by wargs. The west bank of the Wild River. The, the west bank of the Wild River will be. <laughs> so, And then you get to this castle, Castle Karn. Karn. <laughs> Karn. Is, is Richard Karn there? Oh, never mind. No. Sorry. Wish he was. Be nice. So yeah. I don't think so, Tim. And this is where I get really, really mad at this. <laughs> you get really anger <laughs> towards the module, Nick. Come on. I, I, yes, I got angry at it. I got angry at quote unquote Carl. <laughs> Karn. So oh, yeah, Karn. I, I think Karn. No, okay. the guy who wrote the thing. I'm so angry at Karn. <laughs> so you get to this. You get to the castle. And it's a complete utter waste of time. It is a complete utter waste of time. You don't need to go there right now. Yeah. Because it's virtually empty, which it shouldn't be. Well, I guess the say of the uh, prisoners. Maybe that. Yeah, but why not have the goblins in there the first time? Because they're not supposed to be there until the second time when the druid tells you to go back. <laughs> woo woo! Railroad <laughs> adventure here we come. <laughs> Oh. It's, <laughs> There's nothing of interest in here. I'm not even going to bother talking about it, except for the fact when you find, uh, bu- 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 where is it? Uh, Rod oh. Grubs. There's Eva and Fiona. Yeah, the slaves. That's fine. You save them. That's they have wonderful. no idea where the goblins are now. No. But well, you neither do. do we. <laughs> so the girls have no treasure. No kidding, because they're prisoners. <laughs> really. I love the sack, though. The sack. The bag is the sack is a bag of transmuting. Yeah, <laughs> what a what a weird magic item. You, yeah, you come across this. What a big f you to the party too. Yeah. <laughs> so you fight these giant rats. You find jars with well, pretty good loot. Ten thousand copper pieces. How did they fit that into a jar? <laughs> yeah, that's what we're trying to figure out. Ten copper. Ten thousand copper pieces in jars. <laughs> well, they were you know apparently they were going to the store saving their pennies up you know. Yeah. Like the old people, they put it on a little shelf. They put a penny in it every time. A bag of transmuting. This thing is worthless. You put the stuff into it thinking, all right, cool. And then it, you leave it, and... Pfft. Yeah, it turns into junk. Turns into junk. It's a cursed item. Yeah. You it's put a, a cursed item like this in a low-level module. That's just freaking mean. So I told you, it's, it's a big F you to the party from the it GM. Is. It's like, because you find all this... You know, you've you got to put the 10,000 copper pieces in something. Let's put it in the bag. Well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Wrong. I don't know. This area is just weird. It makes my head hurt. It does. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, James, jump in any time when you want to rant. <laughs> I think, no, I think your rants are pretty much on par. Oh, I mean, please, because, you know, my voice might give out before... <laughs> 
before I get to the end of the module, I swear. We're, 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 we're just about halfway through on page 20 yeah, of this module. On page 20, 21, something like this. Okay, oh. so ah, now we finally get to the flipping druid. Oh. <laughs> the druid thing is just like, oh my god, go through this, go through that, climb this, and then... Sh- then finally get to it. Oh my god, the druid was just... Uh. Yeah, just to get to the druid, when you actually get to the druid, you still have to get to him. Because there's all this flippin' flavor text. There's like half a page of flavor text. Just get me to the guy. And then to get to the druid, you have to be disarmed. Yeah, what party in their right mind is going to take off their weapons? Well, okay, so out of respect, some players, maybe like the paladin. Would say yeah, out of respect for their druidic beliefs, fine. I'm good with that. But there's no choice. It's just that they just, the, the druid cast a, what is it, an ivy spell? But, but, but where is it? And and this guy like lives up in the rafters. Yeah, he casts Lift. a spell that 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 holds the party captive while the people the guards disarm them. Yes. So you are disarmed no matter what. And this guy like lives up in the rafters. I guess you got to take this weird ladder. Ladder, and he, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know. And he's but all creepy and old and everything. He's all creepy and old and. One thing here that I noticed. Uh, okay, when the high druid actually speaks to you, again, this is part of the flavor text. It shouldn't be there. <laughs> like, if the party relates the story, why is that being read to the players? That whole area right there, Nick? Um, right where the high druid speaks on page 21? To the high druid or the high druid speaks? The high druid speaks. Oh, I see in the middle there? Yeah, it says, if the party relates the story without exaggeration, including what they ate, they ate of the nymph and especially the dryad, the high druid acts pleased. He motions for them to be seated on the floor at his feet. Then it says, if the party lies to him about the nymph or the dryad, he knows it and asks that the person leaves. Yeah, that shouldn't be in there. That, that but again, bad editing. This right here, and if you look to the right, when he asks to go about the castle Karn, how does he know this, but doesn't know that they don't know they've met the Castle Karn already? Right. How would the Hydra would not know they didn't that he they they go to Castle Karn, but yet know about the dru the, yeah. the, the dryad and the nymph? He's like the Hydruid is unaware that the party has already found the goblin hideout unless the party tells him. But he knows about everything else. Oh. One thing. Yeah. Well, also one of the things too, and this again just goes back to the bad editing, is that for some reason when the High Druid speaks, he actually says "wood" spelled W O O D E, and and yes. "old" as an O L D E. So it's just—is that like his accent? Does he actually go the greaty oldie woody? Woody. <laughs> well, just the greaty oldie woody. Grandpa, keep it to yourself, all right. <laughs> The great old Woody. Mm. <laughs> I see my Woody. Yeah. Oh, that is so awesome! This he has to be read as Herbert. Yes, he, yes. yes, he should be. <laughs> I hear you're doing quite away, my friend. And what does he give you? A potion. <laughs> he gives you oh, the didn't cure. See that coming. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. No. No. No, another potion, folks. He gives help, you, a, I uh, guess, with you're supposed to sprinkle it on the uh, the land or something like that. It's a growth pick potion mixed with a potion of cure disease. Okay, hold on there. Problem potion miscability. Yeah, I don't know. So it didn't blow up, apparently. I don't, it's properly diluted, though. <laughs> oh, okay. 
all right. And should re- and, and the damage should be reversed. <sighs> like, but <laughs> I need you to do something for me. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta do something for me. You know that Castle Karn over to the west? There's some goblins there. I know you guys haven't found it yet, even though you have, and I should probably know this. You need to go over there and take care of that. Yeah. So when you go back there, the goblins are magically there back at the at the castle. Isn't that great? Yeah. And they weren't there before. They must have all just went out, what, just goofing off? They didn't leave a few guards behind? Well, you, you read... That text back there from the DM, it says there's no goblins there, and they will not return until the party left. So maybe they're, they're waiting outside the edge of the <laughs> so forest. I can picture this band of 30 goblins. They're, they're all, oh, we're getting home. Wait, hold on. Wait a minute. There's six adventurers in there. We better wait. We, we, might, wait. we might die. <laughs> we can't go back in there until they leave. You got that, Craig? Okay. <laughs> you got it, boss. So, okay, they're gone. Now we can go back in. And they didn't leave like like five or six goblins behind the guard the place. Uh-huh. If I was running this thing, one thing, if I was running this thing, I'd have to be drunk. <laughs> and two, Especially <laughs> I would leave at least like six or seven goblins behind the guard the dang place. Yeah, at least to guard the prisoners that they have. Yeah, like they left the prisoners unguarded. <laughs> I mean, it's goblins like, are dumb, but they're not that dumb. Yeah, especially all the gold or whatever else they have. Which just, ah, screw it. No one will go in there. 10,000 copper pieces, a few hundred gold. Yeah, we're fine. It's we're like a, a king of his castle taking every one of his soldiers out on a campaign and leaving nobody behind. Yeah. Not even mm-hmm. the peasants. No. Oh, so when you're coming back to the castle, they do have some people on guard because they're aware since you broke in and trampled all over through everything. Yeah. <laughs> Who's been sleeping in my bed? <laughs> this this part is really just kind of odd. Yeah, it's not set up well because it's all a jumbled piece of crap. But <laughs> I had to read the encounter over with the with the goblins and the wargs. Yeah, and how they got because at first they're like, if the leader comes down this and the goblin goes down, they come down this. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! And these come down to fourth, but I thought we were a tenth round already. And yeah, I had to go back and read it yet again because I didn't understand it at first. Yeah, it's it's a little it's weird. It doesn't flow very well. Uh, where is it? Uh, blah, 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 blah. Including the goblin leader, all six guards. There are 21 goblins. The remaining 14 stay at the main hall and attack all the goblin. All the guards respond on the first round. If they're alive. <laughs> if they're alive, yeah. The goblin leader responds on the third round. On the fifth round... I respond. On the fifth round, seven goblins come out of the main hall to assist. For the next four rounds, one goblin comes out on... And on the tenth round, the last three goblins come out of the main hall and fight with their comrades. When the leader... Now it goes back to the leader all of a sudden. Comes out of the tower. He yells something in goblin. The wargs answer with a loud howl from their kennel. Which I don't know how they get out of. Someone's been reading Tolkien. Which I don't know how they get out of their. How do they get out of their kennel without someone releasing them? But anyway, so they come out of their kennel between rounds five to nine. Yeah. Beds don't try to make any sense of it. It's like reading the Necronomicon. It just no. (laughs) It's like the non. Yeah. And then they talk about. Oh, by the way, if an adventurer is smart enough to use the sleep spell. We got it covered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're good, guys. Yeah, we got, got it covered. Stuff. So what we're going to do is when the magic user casts sleep, we're going to say one of the goblins is smart enough to start waking everybody up. Yeah. 
brilliant, but yet they weren't smart enough to leave at least six guys behind before. And then they have that. Go random, figure that one out. And then they talk about the gold and the copper, and like you didn't find it the first time. Apparently, if you're yeah. stupid. So yeah, we're repeating ourselves. Yeah. Oh, and then there's a bugbear trap later on down the road. Oh yeah, you go back to the droid. Who cares, right? So. <laughs> <sighs> stupid droid. Oh, so yeah, yeah. You go back to the droid. It's like great, wonderful. Tell him you killed the goblins. Great. Go to a bugbear. You. You get a chance Whatever. to rest. You what? You get a chance to rest with the druid. Well, whoopee. <laughs> and you think at this point the adventure's over. All you gotta do is go back and give him this potion. No, it's not over. It's far no. from over at this no. point. Go in peace. I advise you to use the lower river crossing. <laughs> yeah, I hear that orcs mass to the west of the wild river upper ford. Wait for you. <laughs> they got popsicles. I got some popsicles in my basement. The popsicles with the orcs. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a camp of bugbears. And this is where you said where the suit of mail. Yeah. Yeah. What is it chain? It's just a suit of mail plus mail one. Plus one. Human Again, size. The, another, I think this goes to my believing that this was originally written for a basic D&D. But bugbears managed to gather up 200 platinum pieces. Yeah. Well, were rich Five. merchants going through this area? Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of platinum for a bugbear to carry. Well, not just that, but none of these bugbears aren't going to wear this suit of male plus one? No. No. It's, it's human-sized. They're not human-sized. Oh, okay. Well. And here we go with the silver-tipped non-magical spear to go with the protection from were-tigers. Yeah. <laughs> there are none in the mod. It's just something random. Thrown yeah, away. I... You know, maybe they were going to go with a wear tiger thing, and they just said, eh, "Drop it." <laughs> and guess what, Nick? We get to go back to the Wild River, Wild River. <laughs> in the land of Generica. Well, this is cool because you get to fight some giant fl- frogs, and I like giant frogs; those are cool. You doubt I didn't see that one coming at all. Oh no! More random encounters. Then the thing gets weird. Yeah, now it gets really weird. I thought that was a baboon in that picture. Nope. <laughs> Honestly, Ladies and gentlemen, you thought the random encounters were really random before, even though they're charted out. Let me tell you, I honestly, I honestly thought that picture was a baboon because I have mine in black and white here, printed out. Yeah, mine's black and white, but that's that's yes. They're gonna go through these mountains and they're gonna encounter a yeti. Yeah, which is really weird. Yeah, because the yeti is attempting to just like take a person and carry off with them and. Too bad. Yeah. And, and the party doesn't, like, go after him. He saves versus death, and he's dead. Yeah, that really ticked me <laughs> off. I'm reading this paragraph. I'm like, well, what? Should the party decide not to pursue the Yeti, the victim must save versus death or die horribly. What? Why? <laughs> but if he does save, he gets to successfully get away. Why? And then the Why Yeti... does he have to die? <laughs> Apparently because the Yeti wanted to kill him. I don't know. And the Yeti keeps coming back, annoying the party. Just until... like save versus death. Why? Just save versus death. Oh, you're dead. <laughs> what? Yeah, save versus. It's a... <laughs> Blackleaf apparently was in this model. <laughs> Blackleaf is dead. Leave now. Yeah. He's and... got a good haul there. Yeah, for Yeti, fifteen hundred gold, three hundred the... electrum. What's the that Yeti's plan here? So the Yeti's going to keep annoying and the two crap. Two plus one and a, hey, a potion of healing. A potion. Yeah, another Wait potion. Wait a minute, though. Here's the best thing, though. There right. is a wand of frost. That's actually pretty cool. 
But what's the uh, the Yeti's motive here? He's going to annoy the party until they finally chase him back to his cave so he could die. Yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. What is his plan? He takes someone back to the cave. He throws them in the back of the cave. I don't know what he does with them after then. And then he hides on top of a cliff near the entrance. He throws them in the back of the cave and says, Ha, you're going to be in the sequel of this module if you don't shape up. <laughs> and he just waits for the party so he could just jump on them. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't understand the Yeti part. It, it just doesn't make sense to me at all. I'd like to get a hold of that Wanda Frost, though. That's pretty cool. No, you can't have it. Sorry. Damn. It's out of charges. Oh, there's... Well, the other cool... This one cool encounter, the Parrot... The, how do you pronounce it? Peritons? Peritons. Peritin, yeah. Yeah, Peritin. Yeah, the Peritons. That's pretty cool. I like that. I like that encounter. The Battle Axe plus one. Yeah. <laughs> Fourth-level character running around with hey, the Battle Hey, 2000 Electrum. Wink and nod to Gary Gygax there. I hate Electrum pieces. I like them. Good. You can have 2,000 Electrum pieces. Well, we're almost done, folks. Really, we're almost done. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> yes, we are. Because then we got the Gypsies. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. I forgot about the Gypsies. <laughs> Ricky, get me a drink. Why is this guy just randomly waiting in the middle of the road for them? Ah, uh, yes. There's an encounter with Ronaldo. You have to say it like that. Ronaldo. Good day, hardy travelers. I am Ronaldo. Does he scream his name like that every time? I think so. It oh. just makes it better. You got to do this with this. <laughs> his story is stupid. Go ahead, Nick. Read his story of why he's there. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Ronaldo is very sure of himself. He appears to know very much. <clears throat> no, no, not that story. Why he's there waiting for them. Why he's there. Oh, in the flavor text you're talking about? Yeah. All oh, right, can, yes. Can I do you this know, one? Yeah, go, go oh, for it, James. Go for it. All right. Out. I'm just having too much fun. <laughs> so you do not know me, but I have heard of you. <laughs> Is he Count not Dracula? too long ago. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was at Master Bolo's Inn, and some passers-by related your story. I put two and two together, and some strange occurrences seemed to make it make sense. I tried to catch up to you, but the caverns beneath the Dragon Teeth Mountains are now impossible. I figure the next best way to run into you is to meet you here, because I am a master gypsy, and I can foretell that you're going to take this road and fight a yeti. Hey, and... it doesn't say that, James. Well, I know. <laughs> Still. That's what it's kind of implied. <laughs> But yeah, so apparently he just knew where to meet them on the road because <laughs> he shrugs his shoulders, and so I'm here. <laughs> meh. He pretty much goes meh. I'm here. Convinced to see Madame Riva, so you can see Madame Riva, and you got Ronaldo <laughs> and his merry band of friends, merry men, and <laughs> they come out and they. Take you to Madame Riva's camp, and uh, the, the, the even the flavor text for the DM is the Great E Old E Woody. <laughs> yeah, Great E Old E Woody. Hold and on. Um, there's it's a typical gypsy camp. They're they're invited to uh, to you know partake of any food and drink that's out there. Uh, they refresh themselves. They meet Madame Riva. Um. And uh, what's and 
Hold Madame on. Eva has a proposal. Four, three. So you go see this Madame Riva. In the Grady Oldie Woody. In the Grady Oldie Woody in their 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 gypsy camp, right? Yeah. So she gives you this spiel, this proposal. So she says you're from the Downs. She smiles sadly. I was thought the Downs I was through the Downs not too long ago. <laughs> this explanation really ticks me off. <laughs> Just before the traveling folk entered the Downs, we encountered Olot the Ogre. We treated him well. He repaid us with lead when we have given him gold. She smiles craftily. In short, young folk, we gave him the hospitality of the camp, took his word, he stole from us. So this is how the whole curse happened, people. Yeah, because it was stupid. (laughs) Because she then goes to... um, the Downs, to ask for silver. No explanation why she needed the silver. <laughs> Just started begging people in uh, in the Downs for silver to pay off Olot. And um, she got mad at them for that, so she cursed the Downs for that. Yeah, this is the whole reason why. That's the whole reason why, everyone. Because she couldn't tell them that the silver was to pay off an ogre. I don't know why she didn't. I don't know either. That's why it's so stupid. <laughs> but isn't there like a part in this proposal? It's like, if you do this for me, great. Thank you. If you don't want to deal with me here, I'll sell you the potion, the cure anyway or something. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I don't know. My my head started to hurt really hit by here. And she's got the stupid pipe she's smoking at the time. Yes, this clay pipe. Yeah. Whatever. I'm picturing the the old lady in the uh, French Revolution part of History of the World Part One, oh. where she keeps tweaking her mole on her face. If the <laughs> if the party tells her that they already have a cure, she's not. It's not going to work. Yeah, she says, "Oh no, it's not going to work because my my curse is much worse." Yeah, I'm like, "You little old lady are more powerful than a twelfth level druid," and she's only fourth level anyway. Yeah, I know. the The high druid's like twelfth level. She's only four, fourth level magic user. Yeah, she's not even a gypsy. She's just a fourth level magic user. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Anyway, so then she tells the story again. A whole lot, yes. Yeah, in a different way this time. In a different way, yes. So he so he steals a Pegasus from them. Yeah, I'm like, where's the Pegasus? (laughs) Gypsies with a Pegasus. That's kind of interesting. Because he, they were bringing it. Random. They were bringing it to some lord as a gift, I guess. Yes. And then you're going to sit around and have this big old feast. Which is good. And there are, what, uh, each player character has a gypsy of the opposite sex next to them, and they charm them. Yep. Try to charm them so you can go and do what, go to Olat's lair. I'm like, really? That, Why? They probably already agreed to do it. <laughs> Come on. Or if they were really smart, they just left the whole darn game world entirely and plane jumped to Forgotten Realms or something like that. But that's just me. <laughs> and they finally tell you what the magic sword is that you get. Oh, yeah. Actually, the sword's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> the scimitar is a magic sword. It's plus two against ogres. <laughs> 
I love that. It's great. It's might as well make it a plus nine knife. It's an ogre slaying sword. I got plus nine knife. It's an ogre slaying. Yeah. Oh my god. So you go to Olad's lair. We're almost we're almost there, folks. Just take a deep breath. We'll all get through this together. There's trap after trap after trap in this place. Well, even better. This is the here's 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 how mind-numbingly dumb this is. So Olot somehow in the past got a hold of a flesh golem. Don't ask why or how or what, but it kind of explains the it. magic user who made it died and he just happened upon this flesh golem. This flesh golem is left over from a castle that Olot found in the ruins. Yeah. And somehow Olot <laughs> could control this flesh golem. And it's used as a guard to the front of his lair. Okay, great. The golem does this not. Is a, this is a level two to four module. You have a flesh golem in it, folks. Isn't that a little too much? I think so. The, the golem. Here's the, and this is the, here's the catcher of the whole thing. What? Um, when I'm reading about the where it says the golem now guards the entrance, yeah, I was gonna say but that, yep. does not attack unless unless a member of the traveling people appears or unless the person has struck the flesh golem with a magical weapon. It fights him. So this implies that if you don't want to attack it at all, you can walk right past him. Yep. So basically, when you walk down that path, if you if he comes out and stands there and stares at you with his fist going, you could walk right past him because he's That's, not going to attack you. Right. Because as it goes by the text, I'm like, okay, so you're probably not going to have one of these traveling people gypsies with you. And... So if he's just going to stand there, I don't know. Then just walk right by. Well, it's okay. like it's it, it, a waste of a flesh golem, but cool. If the party <laughs> engages in battle, and then you declare the actions, and then the monster gets to go first, and you say he just stands there as a party member, would you attack him when it was your turn, or would you question that? I would say he's just standing there. Yeah. I'm like, what is he doing? Oh, he's just standing there. Is he, like, making threatening moves? No, no. He's just standing there, what, clenching his fists and unclenching his <laughs> fists. That's all he's doing. And then I'm like, okay, I walk up to him. He doesn't do anything. I walk past him. He doesn't do anything. Okay, guys, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why it's like, okay. He gives you a stink eye. Yeah, he gives you a stink eye. That's it. So, and then he got boatloads of traps. Even my dog doesn't like it. <laughs> the dog is disgusted by the module, yeah. So, there's a ball trap, a pitfall trap, a water trap. A gas this trap. A smart ogre. Yeah, this, this ogre's awesome. He's about know. the best thing out of the whole freaking module. Too <laughs> smart for his own good to be in this thing. But the battle between the ogre's hilarious. Yeah, it is. You gotta, you gotta talk about that. I just... <laughs> The ogre apparently likes to take... He has the taste for flesh. So I guess while he's battling the party members, he starts giving out little random quips of like, Ooh, you taste great, and (laughs) you would be smelling awesome inside my pot of stew. And like the the magic user is like, Oh, you're practically a waste of time. I wouldn't bother skinning you, but I'll have to kill you anyway. I love what he says about the smallest members. Yeah, that's what I just said pretty much. 
It's too bad you're so puny, out of consideration for my time and effort. You should have fattened yourself up before coming here to pester me. And I'm almost not worth the, it's almost not worth the time or it would take to clean you and skin you. I'm like, really? Who is this guy? Dr. Evil? Yeah, apparently he's a well-speaking ogre, too. So Yes, very well-speaking, because all evil people or, speak with an English I should, accent. I should say well-spoken is probably Well-spoken. Well-spoken, yes. So after you finally defeat him, you find Silverwing. Ah, yes. Who instantly... And he doesn't attempt to escape, either. Yeah, because he's, he's been broken in spirit by the gypsies. <laughs> yeah. He's like, why am I in this adventure? <laughs> And then you return back to the gypsy camp with Pegasus. Oh, wait a minute. Before he, his treasure. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. Another oh, yeah. function of giant control. Oh, and wait for it. Protection wait, from, wear, from tigers. wear tigers. So not only do you have a potion of wear tigers and a scroll of wear, protection from wear tigers. Why? <laughs> and a protection from water elementals. Yes. I could see, And demons. I could see the use. But where tigers? What are the chances? He's got a lot of gold there. Yeah, nine thousand no. GP <laughs> and three pieces of jewelry. But no value. Yeah, <laughs> I just noticed that. Yeah, three pieces of jewelry. There's no gold piece value for him. Too bad. Too so sad. Wow. <laughs> you find this beautiful tiara and a necklace and a bracelet. Where are they worth? Uh, nothing. <laughs> They're costume jewelry. They're costume jewelry. There it is. You have to move this giant rock out of the way to get Silverwing out. Yeah, well. You go back to the gypsy camp with no problem whatsoever. And then, yeah. And then you go back to the downs, and there's one bit of flavor text. That's it. (laughs) It says, Dalon the Mage very happily says, We cannot thank you enough for what you have done. The land may once again thrive. We regret that we are unable to reward you more. You got to put like the 8 bit music going on in the background when you read this. <laughs> yes. You know, from some old 80s uh, computer role playing game. But we have managed to find 100 gold pieces for each of you. <laughs> if you ever need a home or a place to stay, the doors of the Downs will always be open to you. And then right there, the end. <laughs> yeah, every NPC walks away from you and it's. And then the end. The That's end. it. Yeah. That's it. Whew. I'm like, really? <laughs> It was like the person who wrote this, like, screw this, Dan. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the ran- I'm looking at the pre-roll characters. Fromo the Free Finger. <laughs> Fazzle. Shard. <laughs> My daughter Anna just came by here. She was racist. She I heard you guys. I feel sorry for you. <laughs> Even you. the twelve-year-old knows this adventure stinks. Thank you, Anna. Was that her? Yeah. All characters possess leather backpacks, a water skin, flint tender, one tallow candle, two torches, two weeks ration, a blanket, a bell pouch, sorry, belt pouch, the size of a small pocketbook. Wow. A spoon and a small bowl. Spoon! A small bowl? And then there's a picture of the great oldie Woody. (laughs) Yeah. Dumb picture. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I think that's a diesel picture, isn't it? I don't know. No. Uh, probably. I I don't know. So, yeah, I love the names, yeah. And then you finally get to the best part of this module, Nick. You know what that is? 
The end. The end, so you can close it and throw it in the garbage. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and write TSR and say, really? Can I have Why? that back? <laughs> okay, so there's the N2 module stock 9084 from TSR. Be very afraid. <laughs> Six to eight characters levels, two to four. By two and here's the, here's the, and the ultimately this is what really gets me about this adventure. Besides it being, you know, just a waste of dead wood, it's available for download at dndclassics.com. Uh, what is it? Four ninety nine. Four ninety nine. Don't even bother, folks. Yeah, don't don't do it. Don't no. Use your five bucks. Buy against the cult of the reptile god. Get destiny of kings. Get deep dwarven dwelve. Delve right there. Great adventure. Just randomly. Well, the thing is too is that the end series was supposed to be novice. Honestly, if I was just buying this adventure, going, "Wow, I run a run D and D," this would so turn me off to D. Yeah. <laughs> this N for this one stands for nutty or nincompoop or something. <laughs> Never again. Never again. Yeah, I guess you're right. Novice, yeah, I don't know. That was painful. Why don't we uh, take some time to recuperate and uh, and probably help each other over to the creature feature. Okay. Awesome. Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long gorilla? Creature feature theater. All right, everybody. Well, welcome to Creature Feature Theater. Uh, today's beastie is going to be the baboon. <laughs> From the module. From the module, because it's yeah. so damn random. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to say baboon menacingly, because I think, baboon. realistically, that's the only menacing thing kind of about it. Yeah. Uh, so just just stock taking it from the monster manual um, mm-hmm. on page eight. It it pretty much just kind of simply places them as baboons or basically um, her. Wow, a word that I'm having problem pronouncing right now. Uh, herbivorous, herbivorous, herbivorous uh, group animal. Okay. Uh, so the tribe will be led by two to eight large males. Half of the tribe will be young, which will not attack. If in the home territory a tribe is invaded, baboons will attempt to drive the invaders off, but it is ninety percent likely that the tribe will flee if faced by determined resistance. So right there, it's kind of like, wow, I'm going to throw baboons in as something that will run away from my party. Yeah. <laughs> and they're found in forests, apparently. Yeah, uh, all the time, every day. All the time. Along with tigers. Uh, but, I, I, but looking into the baboon, because first of all, I have to say that I'm really – I am I love apes and ape-like creatures. You know, so you- I had a – Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, if you actually think about it, well, the rules of rolling random creatures, well, wild monsters, wherever, a baboon could be inside that tunnel or cave. <laughs> <laughs> so you could be with the dwarf and a baboon could attack. Well, maybe they were, like, digging around. And... <laughs> I'm just saying. They could attack. Maybe they found that doll left of, oh, well, go ahead, the apes kind of thing. You like the apes? Well, also, Lion King, I believe um, the... The little druid priest guy was a baboon. Oh, yeah. Staken. 
So, I mean, you can have a, a druid baboon or actually I know this is, I don't know if this is kind of off topic, but I finally seen Oz the Great and Powerful last evening ah. and the uh, the winged baboons that they the had. Flying the flying monkeys? Well, in the in the movie, they, they had a flying monkey, but the evil queen's minions were baboons, which really? just kind of made them incredibly awesome, as it were. <laughs> That's cool. But looking just at Monster Manual itself, um, the only other baboon-like thing is looking at Demigorgon, which is kind of a two-headed baboon. Yes. Um, but Monster Manual 2 actually gives us the Banderlog, which is yeah. kind of a, a little bit more fierce and a little bit more um, something that you could throw at uh, adventuring parties. Isn't and, there – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Isn't there another demon that kind of looks like a monkey baboon-like creature? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it's Bar Lagura. Yes. There you go. Yeah, that's it. Because, I mean, if you think about a lot of the uh, the classic Robert E. Howard um, demons, like for whatever reason, most of them were baboon-looking. Yeah, baboons or apes or something like that, yeah. And um, other references, obviously, then I went to find Minimals in Monster Manual 2, which actually uh. had baboons listed as a, uh, as, a, uh, as a possibility. Very tiny baboons that go around and fling their poop. <laughs> Can you imagine that? That would be awesome. You just carry around this satchel full of minimal baboons and just, like, let them go. Oh, it would be like the little barrel of monkeys that you used to have when you were a kid, that toy? Oh, yes. That would be – oh, Wow. That'd be an interesting magic item, the barrel yeah. of baboons. Oh, oh. oh me likey. I, we, we know it's going to be in Gygax Magazine, too. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, but think That's... about it. If you had them, like, charmed, they can hook their arms together, and you could just literally open your barrel of baboons and toss them up, and they would all link together. You could climb up them. Oh, there you go. Hey, see? Baboons are useful. Besides having weird-looking butts and fling their poo at you. <laughs> Nick. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do we have to edit that out? No. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I guess the, the point is is trying to actually integrate them into a into a story. I mean, I, I don't – well, obviously, uh, Forest Story well, is probably not the place to have them. Well, you know, I, I – you know, if you're going to do like a kind of a Lost World kind of campaign setting or a mini campaign like Isle of Dread – I think they would fit in really well. I mean, because the whole Isle of Dread, it's kind of it's kind of a takeoff of you know, Lost World by you know with Burroughs and, mm -hmm. and and what have you. And you know, I think you know baboons would fit really well in there. I kind of, in fact, I I remember I kind of tweaked that whole uh, module and added a few other things to it. I have like a section where there's. There's like rock baboons where you know they're, they they live around some some rocky areas. They throw rocks at people from <laughs> with really good accuracy. And I kind of incorporated some other like apes, carnivorous apes, and some other creatures. So there's like a whole section of the island where they're like they worship this ape god and everything. So hmm. yeah, baboons could work there in that sort of setting. But I think for baboons, I mean, making them sentient is definitely another way to go. Um, yes. Uh, definitely you know, be able to talk or – well, I think that's where the banderlog kind of comes in is the, yeah. uh, the smart, intelligent baboon compared to the – there's people coming, let's scatter. 
Yes, a planet things. where apes evolved from men? <laughs> Damn you straight to hell. <laughs> Do not go into the forbidden zone. Zaius was an orangutan, I believe. Yes, right? he was. Yeah, he was Dr. an orangutan. Zaius, Dr. Zaius. Oh my god. <laughs> See what this module does to people? <laughs> Every time I think about like Planet of the Apes and orangutans, whatever, I keep thinking of Mystery Science Theater 3000 with Bobo and Yes. And Mrs. Forrester and uh, the brain guy. But I, making them sentient, I think actually the ability to uh, to fly was just kind of a, a neat thing because uh, it just kind of seems a little oppressive to have a bunch of uh, baboons jump from the trees and start chasing you uh, through the air. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Put them That's... in a module. I think uh, call it the Forest Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> we're baboons because honestly I, like just kind of doing some research into the baboon by Nick Smith <laughs> <laughs> there's there's been several dragon magazine issues uh, like early the dragon that had uh, articles on Africa yeah but they're in not really much on the baboon right um, although I, I did find out in one of the episodes of the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, Eric was turned into a baboon. I remember for, that. For talking back to uh, Dungeon Master. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> I think it was like, oh, I'll be a blue nosed baboon. And it was yeah. like, poof, there you are. Yes, he goes, that's a very strange request. Boink. It was at the end of the adventure, uh, the adventure of the show, yeah, I that episode. I can't stand that cartoon now. I loved it. I love well, it, that... but I couldn't stand the fact that they were so close to getting home every time, but they just couldn't do it. Do it. And then they finally got home, and they just didn't go home in one of the adventures because they couldn't because somebody was left behind. And I mean, honestly, the cartoon, you know, now it switches to cartoon, but the cartoon could have been a great, I think, vehicle to introduce it uh, to a lot more people. And I think they just kind of lost that momentum at, at some point, because I don't even think people who played D&D watched the cartoon. I did. I did. I did. Oh, really? Okay. I did. I watched it. When I finally found out about the cartoon, I'm like, oh, this is awesome, except for I thought the characters were really stupid and annoying. Especially yeah. the stupid unicorn, which I never figured out why the hell the unicorn was with them. Uni. Yeah. But, but there were three of the Unearthed Arcana classes, I believe, because there was the Thief Acrobat, yeah. yep. the Barbarian, and the Cavalier. Yep. And the Cavalier. And the with, Cavalier, yeah. The Cavalier had no sword, no Who weapon. Who I believe was voiced by Donnie Most. Ralph the Mouth. Donnie yeah. Most. Don- oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Watch the Family Guy. You'll get that. So, uh, so Vince, uh, the baboon. Uh, so let's let's just kind of go around. How would you introduce it into a game, or why would you introduce it into a game? The baboon. I, I you know, I looked at that and I thought it was such a random thing. I said, let's do that for the creature feature. I don't even think I would use it in the adventure because it doesn't even make any sense. I don't see how a baboon is <laughs> going to be there, especially if you're in the caves or at the river or something. How is this baboon there? Why are they there? And how do they survive there? So no, I would not use it. I'd probably just go, mm, no, I'll roll again. <laughs> I told you how I would use baboons. I mean, I would put them in a Lost World kind of campaign setting. You know. Oh, I thought you were talking about this module today. I'm sorry. No, actually, just in if you were to run an adventure and put baboons in it. 
Oh, I apologize. And uh, yeah, I would probably put them like Nick said in the Lost World. I kind of think of maybe doing like a Jurassic Park type thing with these dinosaurs mm. running around. Maybe there's some odd like prehistoric baboon race there that's kind of dominating the area. Maybe have them That'd fighting, be cool. fighting against the Velociraptor, Velociraptor, Velociraptor. Uh, I can't say it. The Raptors. Yes, <laughs> Velociraptors. There we go. There you go. Yeah, and, and again, I think I would just go the sentient route, uh, just for the fact that. Like um, some mad sorcerer having baboon minions to to you know Ooh. run around and do things. How about and they a, fly? Ooh, how about a society of baboons that are intelligent enough to talk and create things, and they just want to talk to you. They don't want to hurt you. Ah. I say my well, since everything in this module was properly speaking. So <laughs> I say, my good man, you've raided into my camp. I'm just wondering why. Oh no, space balls have come to the planet. <laughs> well, I was picturing baboons with monocles at this point. Yes. yes. Sipping sipping tea with a big long uh, cigarillo type thing. <laughs> <laughs> with a top hat. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, so wrong. My good man, did you read the paper today? Oh, yes, I did the stock. Yes, Keep calling it on a rampage over there in New York City. Those boys are good. Those... I think we're going to go out this afternoon and fling poo at the neighbors. What do you think? Oh, that's so beneath me. Though. Oh, yeah. we have to do something. You know? it's uh, either that or we just like look, you know, look at each other's behinds. <laughs> that could be very fun, yes. Oh, God, Johnny Gorgeous. Well, although it wasn't D and D, it was at an episode of Thundar the Barbarian, where the <sighs> the apes try to resurrect the electronic King Kong from Universal Studios. Yeah, <laughs> what a great series! And I think they're trying to wipe out the little people. They had these like little Hobbit type people that were, li- and the the ape people were trying to attack them. And finally, their master plan was to reconstruct King Kong and send it into their village. Yes. I swear, you know, that series was so great because, you know, sorry, I got on a tangent, but it's like someone in Hollywood just went, you know, this, there's this game called Gammon World. We should make a series out of it. <laughs> oh, totally. Thunder was totally Gammon World. Oh, my God, yes. I really kind of enjoyed that Thunder supplement. What's his name put out? I can't think of his yeah. name. Yeah. For, uh, for uh, blah, 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 Labyrinth Lord. Mm-hmm. It from Mutant Future, I should say, actually, and I liked it. And then when he made a module for it, I didn't like it. <laughs> Only for the simple fact that you have to play the characters from the cartoon in his module, which I was kind of annoyed about. I was Demon like, dogs. Yeah, you had to play like like the adventure for the convention was. There was like uh, four Thundars, two Uklas, and I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, what? Make a design so you can make up your own character. Like, the book looks like you can actually make your own character up. But yeah. in fact, you're not. You're kind of just making up Thundar and his group. Oh. Yeah. But it was still cool what he does. And every Thursday, he puts out a new thing from the series. So, Cool. That was a great series. Anyway. Yeah, I think the, the website it's on is the Savage Aftermath, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct. Yeah, Tim Tim Snyder, I think the guy's name is. But yeah, it's a free supplement worth worth the download just to see what he's done, so you could steal it for your games. No so, doubt. Any more poop slinging for the baboons, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they do. <laughs> not that not that I could come up with. If we were talking about gorillas, man, there was a lot of stuff. But uh, no, baboons definitely. I, honestly, I, I think they're. 
And for most part, baboons can be awesomely used as kind of window dressing, just to kind of give a a feel of uh, you know the nature around anyone. But as far as like mm. an encounter, uh, unless you know, and again, going back to our friend the Banderlog, you know, he could possibly have baboon minions that would fight for him. So. There you go. Yeah. Oh, baboons. <laughs> All right, there we have it. Baboons. Treasure chest coming up next. You have opened the treasure chest. You may choose an item. So the treasure chest, uh, pulling out of the treasure chest this week, we're going to talk a little bit about dealing with randomly rolled items and how you handle them in your group. Now, I understand that you could be the DM that says, okay, here's my monsters, I'm going to plan it out, but I'm not going to roll what you get until it's time for the party to get it, which is fine. You know, some DMs do that. But what yeah. happens if you do do that, or you're, even if you're sitting at home for the fact, for that matter, and you roll under those special items, and sometimes the monsters have special items, and you get like a powerful item that you think the party should not have, do you allow them to keep it? Do you say, no, looking at my party, I don't think so? Do you not tell them if you're doing it on the fly? Nick, you said you had an interesting story about this. Yeah, I do. And it's a sad, sad story to tell. Oh, I don't have sad Yeah, music. when I was running my AD&D game for my group, we were one of the – I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do random uh, items. Um, when I get magic items, I'm going to do the – I'm going to do everything randomly as far as not just magic but any treasure. Just roll it up right there. And I was going to try to do my darndest to do you know, where, where the dice fall where they may, okay? Well, Fine. there was like one magic item that came up on a particular encounter after they got done with it was a hat of the skies, okay? <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, what harm can this do? Oh, you know, yeah. hat of the skies. <laughs> I, apparently, I didn't read too closely on the explanation. Nick. Yeah. So, had a disguise in a low-level party <laughs> to the guy who, to the one guy who's playing it, who's very, very experienced. And he's got as much experience playing as I do. Now it could be like any player, character, class he wants to be. <laughs> uh. Even though he's a dwarf. If he wants to be a dwarven cavalier, he could be a dwarven cavalier. If he wants to be a dwarven illusionist, he can be a dwarven illusionist. I'm like, why? Why? (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, all he he, puts on this hat of the skies and, and, and yeah, that's, you could do all those different classes and stuff and it just like, oh. What does the hat of the skies look like to you? Well, to me? Yeah. I don't know. For some reason, I'm picturing like picturing this like weird looking fedora hat that he puts on, and he like morphs <laughs> into whatever. It kind of looks like a little like you know floppy hat, like a little beanie or something. Well, I don't know. L- like a little um, propeller on the top. Oh, sorry. I just know on the uh, explanation on the hat. I think it's in Unearth Arcana. Yeah, hat of hat of the skies. Oh no, it wasn't the hat of the skies. It was the other one. Oh. Um. Um, to turn into anything you want to screw up Nick's campaign disguise. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's, there's another. It's another hat. I'm trying to remember what it is. Isn't it the cloak um, of disguise? 
I'm just trying to remember what. All right. Well, what did you do to solve the situation, or what did you do? Or... Um, nothing yet. I haven't had a time to destroy it or have it lost. So <laughs> why don't you send the leprechaun after them? I should. I should. So that's but, yeah. Um, yeah, there. Yes. I, I am. I thought it was the hat of this guy. But it was some other magic item that allows you to, you know, mimic other character classes. Oh, I don't. It's, it's the something of professions. Yeah, something like that. I'm trying to remember what it was, but oh, suffice yeah. to say, it was a bad choice. <laughs> lest, I should have fudged the die roll. All right, lest we the, care, let's move on. James, what were you going to say? No, and I actually I've seen this really go awry recently. In the like last year, a, a good friend of mine was running. Um, uh, Tome of Horrors, actually, oh. and uh, we all just had a, we all generated like twelfth level characters uh, to go through it because it was just gonna be a one shot or you know a couple of shot sort of thing. So the GM just basically opened the DMG and just had him random have us randomly roll out of the magical items according to what we would get at that level, and everything that we got he just said okay with uh, minus unless it was an artifact. And pretty much we walked through the entire dungeon. Wow. Just oh because gosh. in the parts where you're supposed to fall to your death, someone had boots of levitation. <laughs> uh, the, the mage had the robe of the magi and, or a staff of the magi. So pretty much we just kind of kept walking through. And it, was, it got really boring. I think it lasted like five sessions. And by session number the two. The horrors was boring? <laughs> yes. So that just kind of shows how when randomly rolled magical items uh, can really throw monkey wrenches into the plans of a Game Master's game. It's like, wow, yeah. Here it is. It wasn't a hat of the skies. It was the hat of difference. Hat of difference? <laughs> yeah, it's out of the Unearthed Arcana. And when the Duomont, when the du- yeah, blue, excuse me, when this Duomont chapeau is donned, obviously Gary Gygax wrote this. The wearer is able to assume the role of a character of any possession profession different from he- that he or she actually follows. The magical headgear only empowers assumption of first level ability, but as long as it's worn, the possessor is a- able to act as a member of the name pos- profession. Any experience thus gained is in the assumed role only, but it is cumulative. So if several wearings an individual actually goes to second level, then he or she will retain that level whenever adorned with the hat and desired to assume the different profession. Yes. Wow. Such progress may continue indefinitely, too. Yeah. So it's kind of difficult. So I would think ahead of time you should plan out what you want to do. Yeah. Don't randomly roll the time, and if you do, that's when you say, "Oh, I didn't roll that. Let me just change that number." Yeah, that's when you gotta fudge it. That hat a difference has caused so much trouble. And if, if say the item is an eighty, well, say it's all of a sudden. An, oh, I called the other color. It's an eight. Yeah. If yeah, potion of speed. Congratulations. If that's not any better, <laughs> just look randomly on the chart with your finger and point to something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. The the random finger point. Because someone actually asked this question, they said, well, how do you deal with these randomly rolled items? If it's something powerful, do you keep it because you just rolled it? Or No, you're the DM. You make the decision of what you want to do for your game. Remember, like James said, everything affects your game. So, And it could put a wrench into everything. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it just – especially something you've planned really – you know, worked on. You've done all your, your homework, if it, whether it's a module or something that you wrote yourself. And then suddenly that one thing that you accidentally let go through or just unbeknowingly let go through, and it just kills everything moment one. That's that darn had a difference. That's what it did. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think my mistake in my game was giving out a wear chicken. Where chicken? That sounds awesome. Yeah, last last uh, show we talked about it in my group. One of the players was a cleric. I said magic user. He's actually a cleric, and he's like, "I'll play in your game if I can have a where ch- oh, where chicken, a war chicken." Sorry about that. Oh god, the war chicken. Yeah. Oh my god, this is so funny. <laughs> so I actually sat down and I wrote up a monster, full stats and everything out for a where a where war chicken. I keep saying where because this damn module with the were tiger. Yes. <laughs> See what it does to you? Yeah. So I wrote it out. It was like chicken, comma, war. <laughs> oh, wow. And I statted up. He's like a, a two-hit dice creature. Two-hit dice? Yeah. That's more than a flipping goblin. But he's powerful. <laughs> he's a powerful little chicken. It's more than a cobalt. <laughs> he's two feet high. Okay, that's not, yeah. That's like the chicken out of uh, Family Guy almost. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, got it. So there you go. But Sam, I love odd items like that, though, just because, for example, a few years back when Frank Menser came out to uh, to New York for a convention, we were playing in this game and he was going through the list and he goes, OK, this is what I want, but I also want a mouse in a cage. <laughs> and everyone just kind of looked at him and still to this day, I don't know why he wanted it or what it was used for. And I've seen him now like three times since. I should have just said, all right, Frank, what was the mouse in the cage going to do? Yeah, what what gives? You know what? I bet, he, I bet he doesn't even know. He probably just did it to be like random. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like something Frank would do. Just to be cool or to have people look at him and go, what, yeah. what is he thinking? He's Frank Mentor. He must be up to something. He's legendary. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Paranoia. <laughs> and Frank probably just randomly picked it like, well, I'll just do this. <laughs> They'll probably think it's stupid, you know. Anyway, so there you go. Uh, I guess that's going to actually wrap up the show this week. Yes. After two and a half hours. Oh, God, that <laughs> module is just so painful. Recommend don't buy it. And out no. of uh, swords, we give them negative swords. You actually stab yourself with your sword. No, I'll give it. I'll give one sword just for the maps. The maps are useful. Right. And I- you can probably pick this thing apart and use, because it's so random. You can use bits and parts of this for just random encounters. I think if if I had seen this in a magazine, these bits and parts by themselves, like, you know, issue by issue, I probably would have thought, oh, well, this is pretty cool. I could shove this into my campaign or or something. If James, like, you know, if Chapter 13 put one of these things out, and I would probably want to go over your house and kill you for it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. One sword. Yeah, no, I agree. One one sword. Just for the fact that, honestly, after looking at this, I want to take the gypsy part of it and redo it and just put it into something else. Because I think the whole gypsy curse thing really worked, but everything else around it made no sense. It's, yeah, the ogre. The ogre, and because they wouldn't give her... Uh, <laughs> let's not go back and do it again, because we'll get all destroyed. Yeah, and Carl Smith... If that's your real name, and you're out you, there, we're coming you're out for you. There. You need you 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 need to just give us an explanation. 
Actually, I think that's what I'm going to do is tonight I'm just going to shoot Frank off an email and just kind of go, all right, Carl Smith. Who is he? Yeah. Why did he do this? Yeah. Do that for me. When you contact him whenever your meeting is or something, just who is Carl Smith and why did he write this horrible module? <laughs> and Frank's going to say, I'm sorry. That's all he's going to write back <laughs> Well, with. you know, it's like, hey, they must have needed to fill a gate. Uh, a gap somewhere. They needed money. And a- ask him uh, that question, though. Was this module a bunch of things that were, should be in Dragon or Dungeon or something pieced together? Because I think that's what it was. And they just asked this Carl Smith guy to... Uh, it's an alias, dude. Yeah, I know. That's why I did it with quotes, <laughs> as you can see. To piece it together. So here, make some sense of this, and we'll put some fake name on it. <laughs> here... <laughs> Here, uh, what? Well, just pick someone's name. Um, uh, Ed Greenwood. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was there just yet. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm here. almost picturing this like trash eighty computer that just kind of randomly spit out adventures in like 1984, and oh, they just like, kind of took it with the cool like Star Trek. <laughs> as it's computing, a typewriter sound going back and forth. That's why I said a lot of the text sounds like someone was playing Zork or or Bard's Tale and just like <laughs> computing. It's like, oh, that's good flavor text. Let's throw that in there. <laughs> Module N two Forest of the Oracle. <laughs> yes. No. Anyway, that's going to wrap up the show. James, if someone wants to get a hold of you or they want to follow you or maybe they want to submit some content to you, either for Chapter Thirteen or for Gygax, how could they do that? Well, I can be found at james at uh, chapter13press.com or our website, chapter13press.com. Uh, for Gygax Magazine, we just recently, in about a, within the week, put up our submission guidelines, and there's a way to submit through the website. So definitely, as we, as we move on, uh, we're going to be looking for submissions uh, for, uh, for you know, the articles that are going to make this magazine just kind of move forward and make it great. And do you have any uh, tips for the people, so many things that you're the content editor, things that you really would not want to see? Or I know you have a submission guideline, but personally from you, what's something you'd advise them not to submit? The Forest uh, Oracle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Please do not submit the Forest. I've put that on the website. I'll have to call Jason. Go, Jason, can you just add a little note to the bottom of that? Yeah. <laughs> Don't submit anything from module into the Forest Oracle. No, I'm going to say no. Uh, definitely no reviews. Nothing that's kind of going to be irrelevant because I, I think one of the things about the magazine itself is that this is going to be a document that we need to have relevant 10 years from now. Like the Dragon. I can go and pick up an old Dragon magazine and take stuff from it and it's still good now as it was you know, back in like say 1984, 1983. Um, so yeah, things about – Things that are current, like um, you know, telling us about your favorite convention or telling us about uh, a review on a new game you played or a module, while that's all great, it really doesn't belong in the print form. What we're looking for is you know, give us some magic items that maybe your fellow gamers can, can use in their campaigns. You know, tell us how uh, you know, the, the war chicken, you know, things oh, like that. Things that players can just really – open up and go, that's amazing. I'm going to integrate that into my campaign. Or even maybe uh, even a uh, convention survival guide or something. That may be something. Some, something like that might be interesting, definitely. But um, really, the, the magazine's looking at player aids okay. uh, th- or game master aids, things that are going to make their game better. Right, okay. 
So there you have it. Contact them any way you possibly can. Contact us however you want to. Just don't use the Forest Oracle to contact us. No. <laughs> RFISTAFF at gmail.com. Uh, 570-865-4210, the hotline. And that's going to put a wrap on the show. I'm Vince and you're not. <laughs> Wait, that's the wrong show. Uh, keep it original, keep it old school. And remember, you rule the books, not the other way around. Especially if it's the Forest Oracle. Good night, everybody. Night, everyone. Good night. Roll for initiative.